Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network continuing on our coverage of Indiana Jones Month. We are in week two. I want to sing the Big Bang Theory. Calling Dr. Jones. If you ever saw that episode, everything's Big Big Bang Theory all of a sudden related. Welcome to our Big Bang Theory recap. I'm (laughs) Sheldon Cooper. Uh, But we are into part two, week two. The 1984 blockbuster that is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Last week wasn't Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't think they've ever renamed that George Lucas or anything. But uh, this week it is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which I believe is the first ever sequel Steven Spielberg ever directed. Yeah, maybe yes. A prequel, technically. A prequel. Te- well, I mean. If only somebody who had uh, been involved in this had uh, gotten an idea from that. (laughs) Um, Starring Harrison Ford, Kate Spielberg, Academy Award winner Kihu Kwan, (laughs) and Dan Aykroyd. Uh, (laughs) I'm like, what? Um, Because, sure, why is it Dan Aykroyd in this movie? Uh, but this is going to be fun to talk about because I guess this, alongside with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, is the one that people don't want to talk about. But mm-hmm. I'm saying this right now. I'm glad to talk about this one. Uh, my name is Ben. And what are you supposed to be, a lion tamer? And my name is Colin, but you call me Dr. Hilding, doll. <laughs> what is this, freaking Space Jam? No one calls me doll. Um, I, uh, look... Again, you, my taste, obviously, I like Die Another Day and generally anything that's considered a crap film I'll probably enjoy. But there's just something about this. Like, again, as I keep saying, with all my background with Indiana Jones, it's been a long time since I've seen them. I used to watch them as a kid. But as I think I said, I mentioned last week, I'm pretty sure this was the one I watched all the time as a kid. This, and just remember, because so much of this just, I remembered so much more than I did in Raiders of the Lost Ark when I watched this a week ago. And this is just fun this goes by so quickly i think at one point because i sort of watched this on a day where i'm like okay i've got like a two-hour window to fit it in here i've got shit to do and like it got to literally a point where i'm like oh fuck how long has this got to go i had like 15 minutes to go i'm like oh my god this movie is just like absolutely breezing by it's very like hard to watch in some points it's very like disgusting in some points and a bit like creepy but i mean it's just it's just fun and like okay what, 30-odd, nearly 40 years later, people are like, oh, this is the racist one. Um, but I don't know. Like, is it just unpopular for me to say, Colin, that I like Temple of Doom, that this is just a fun movie? 
I, I think it's all going to depend on who you talk to. I mean, I, I sort of mentioned last week that like Templar Doom now seems to get a free pass because people are like, oh, King of the Crystal Skull was so dumb. And I always kind of have the defense. I'm like, go back and watch Templar Doom. King of the Crystal Skull fits in exactly the way Templar Doom does in this franchise. Uh, the, the weird thing is, I this wasn't the one that I watched as much as a kid. I don't know whether I just wasn't allowed to. I, I, I definitely saw it at some point, but I have no recollection when I first saw this because my first exposure was actually, um, you, you remember those old, like, you'd get, like, the book, but it would have the audio that played along with it, so you'd be hearing sound effects and music. So and like, it, turn the page. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ding, turn the page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I had that for the Temple of Doom, so I think by the time I ever saw the movie, I already knew the story, so I really don't have a recollection when I saw it, but, like, uh, I remember, you know, uh, around, I'd say, the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, talking with uh, several people about Indiana Jones and like every person would always be like, oh, but Temple of Doom's terrible. Hmm. Uh, and and even Jamie, well, she was all excited. I think I mentioned uh, last week that uh, we started to watch this immediately after Raiders and she's like, oh yeah, I'll definitely watch that. And she's like, oh, is this the one, the, the, the slave children and, and India and uh, the screaming woman and the bugs? I'm like, yeah, she goes, oh, this one's terrible. I'd rather watch the alien one over this. And then even after we watched the movie, I'm like, okay, she's going to be won over a little bit because she, her favorite Batman movie, Batman and Robin, right? Uh, but she was like, yeah, that movie's just bad. Uh, but I'm kind of with you. Like, I, this movie, it is definitely not my favorite Indiana Jones movie. Uh, but it is so different, and it knows what it is. And, yeah. and this was sort of the, this is the idea that George Lucas and Spielberg both had from the beginning. Like, that first meeting they had all the way back on opening weekend of Star Wars where George Lucas pitched him the Indiana Jones series. He said, okay, but I got three movies I don't want to make. And the idea that he had from the beginning was that he wanted each one to kind of be a different genre. And when we get to next week, we're going to talk about the original idea would have actually been something even completely different from like Temple of Doom or Raiders. Uh, but they wanted to explore different genres. They wanted to try different things. I can definitely see a lot of the complaints with this movie. Like, you know, it, it goes a little bit too dark at times, but it, it's just, it's fascinating to watch because this embraces that 30s, 40s, 50s style film more than any of the other Indiana Jones movies do. The other ones you can all sort of imagine, oh, this is like a modern retelling. But even after we finished this, Jamie said, you know what would make this movie better if we watched it in black and white? Because it feels mm. like this should be like an old black and white movie. And I, I get that. Like this is a 30s movie without any excuses. We're just going to 100% go hardcore, make this corny and over the top and just something that people would have watched decades ago. And I like I agree with everything you say, but I don't know if I'd necessarily agree that this is so different to Ray. Like I like the thing that I always found, particularly the original Indiana Jones trilogy, is that they all felt like they were all kind of on the same kind of like the Back to the Future movies. They kind of are just like you can tell these are all the same movie in the front. They keep that same formula and then kind of they change it slightly. I don't know, like this is something about this that I don't see much of a change. Like, well, you know, I, I just think it's still a uh, Rick rocking fun ride for all the family to take down to the local cinescope. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Like, I just I just find it like it's, it's a lot. It takes over a like, much shorter period of time. I mean, you're thrown into the action literally from the beginning and there's no real like super build up like Raiders. But I don't know. Like, yeah, it's a bit more mythological. But I mean, again, we literally had fucking ghosts and everything in the first one. So, I mean, to me, that's still like, OK, cool. We've got. You know, voodoo and, and like hearts coming out of your chest and magic stones. Like, I mean, that's no different to me. No offense to all the religious people listening out there than the Ten Commandments and ghosts coming out of Jesus's tomb or whatever it is. So I think that the the problem with Temple of Doom is that Last Crusade came after this. And 
I'll get into this a lot more next week, but I was even describing to Jamie, like I think a lot of the negative opinions of Temple of Doom is from the fact that A, with Last Crusade, they made a sequel that was so good, but it was also so much more like Raiders. It was, all the interviews that Spielberg and Lucas have done from the point when they were on set of Temple of Doom up until present day, they said, we wanted this movie to not just be repeating Raiders. We wanted to do something that was just enough like it, but something completely different so that these movies all had their own feel to it. You know, similar to the way the Mission Impossible movies are now, like even though you have the same director, finally, after what, five movies, you have the same director. He even says, you know, the Christopher McQuarrie says, I'm going to make every Mission Impossible movie feel like it's made from a different director. But Last Crusade, I think they got scared off at the reaction to Temple of Doom. So they made it so similar to Raiders. And it is, you know, no problem with that movie. In fact, I think that movie is one of the greatest sequels ever made, if not maybe the greatest sequel ever made. But it set this idea in people's heads that, oh, well, Raiders and Last Crusade is what Indiana Jones is and everything else is done wrong. And it's that's not the case. It's just they decided to do another sequel to please the fans. With It was the original fan service sequel, Last Crusade. It was just a fan service sequel done right. So people kind of have this idea in their head that because Temple of Doom and King of the Crystal Skull and probably Dial of Destiny try some different things, that it's not Indiana Jones. I went out the other night with Jimmy, our good friend Jimmy, uh, former Oslet. Well, did he beat you in the race? He did. No, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just took a photo of it. He wouldn't race me, the bastard. But um, I was talking to him that we were doing this and we were doing the Indiana Jones movies. His first reaction was, oh, well, as long as you don't have to talk about the last one they did with the aliens, that was rubbish. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, here we go. Uh, Wrong. That's the reception. But um, yeah, like... It's, it's, I mean, I can see issues with this, but I will say it's not to me like a die another day where it goes completely off script, if you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you've got an archaeologist trying to find something ancient with mysterious things around him, and he wins the day with whips and chasing and women. Cool. Like, <laughs> they don't surf a iceberg with terrible CGI. Um, you know, there's not (laughs) gene sequencing and all the fun stuff we love about Die Another Day. But like, I mean, I think they still stick wildly closer to the formula than Die Another Day did. Look at me sort of not digging into Die Another Day, but you know, but it just, it always comes down to, and again, I was having a conversation with this somebody at work that like, sometimes you just need a film that, yeah, you can see how it's dumb or yeah, you can see the complaints, but you can still enjoy it. Like, and then I just Mm -hmm. like... You could just put this on and just completely just be taken away from it. And like I, yeah. I feel like I was kind of like uh, ripping into dear old Mrs. Spielberg last week or so, or whatever. But I'm with you. She's fun. She's yeah. She's fucking annoying, but she's great <laughs> annoying. Like to me, like I, I don't know if this is a weird thing to say. I think this movie is more sexist than it is racist. Like I mean, talk about the the stereotype of useless blonde bimbo who does nothing. And, like, her getting on the elephant, being called dull, like, I mean, kind of all this sort of stuff. Like, again, it's the 30s, okay? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm assuming Spielberg and Lucas are kind of doing that because that was kind of the era. I'm not saying this movie isn't racist looking back on it in hindsight, but I'm just saying to me, maybe because I'm, I'm the feminist of the podcast, as we know, uh, I just was a bit more like, oh, this this doesn't hold up too well. <laughs> you know, this level uh, of making a female stereotype look like this. But she's fun. So uh, she's she's great. And uh, you brought the comparison we were talking about last week about Mary Goodnight. And I'm a huge fan of Mary Goodnight, man, yeah, who also gets the same type of criticism. Uh, but 
I'll use the same and argument Tiffany I used Case. on Double Seven. Yeah, not not quite. But <laughs> but I'll use the same argument I made on Double Seven. When you the, the more sexist thing than just having a character that maybe fits these stereotypes and is kind of the the useless you know uh, screaming uh, damsel in distress is people thinking that that has to be a bad thing. Because if they're simply saying this is the way all women is, that's one thing. But they're making a character who has a ton of development in this movie. She gives it her all. And Kate Capshaw basically said in uh, the the making ofs, and this was years later, about how personally she took a lot of the criticism about being like a, a sexist stereotype. Because she said, like, in real life, she was a single mother. She she basically was going for, she, she I think she already had her master's degree or was going for a master's degree. And she got into this movie because she's like, it's going to be something fun to do and it's going to give me a ton of opportunities. And she had the best time of her life making this movie. And when you have a male character that is this exact same type of thing, the, the, the bubbling sidekick, it's fun comic relief. When you have a female character who is the bumbling sidekick, it's sexist. So why can't women have the same? We love the bumbling sidekicks. So why can't a woman play the same role and you just say, this is somebody who's the, the arguably the funniest character in the movie, who's has the most energy of anybody in this movie. I'm going to give the argument that like as, as good as Harrison Ford is at moments of this movie, Harrison Ford was definitely going through some Daniel Craig specter level injuries in this movie. And it shows. And there are times where Harrison Ford is checked out in his performance. Kate Capshaw never checked out in her performance. Like she gives us 150% and Harrison Ford maybe gives it 95. So let her be out there stealing, stealing scenes and doing something that's a little bit different than what Marion did. Because if you just did Marion all over again, which was like female oh. empowerment, it wouldn't work. <laughs> her or Harrison Ford doing Marion all over again. I mean, it's a, it's a very good point. And you also make the argument that in today's movies, the you, you talk about this bumbling male you, you know version. Like I'd argue most action heroes in particularly comic book movies are almost bumbling idiot men. Yeah. You know, Spider-Man. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, oh, look, they've got their shirt off. I mean, it's we've kind of come full circle where the majority of the time now the the female characters are stronger than men a lot of the time in yeah. movies. So, But yeah. unfortunately, that also leads them to be more boring half the time. Like, I think that's the yeah. problem by, by simply saying this is sexist is that the women don't get to have fun. And if you're in a movie, you have to be able to make a fool of yourself. That's what people enjoy. I'm just looking here. This is only Kate Capshaw's second ever movie. She did a movie called A Little Sex in 1982. She'd been on TV uh, a couple of times. But looking what she... She hasn't acted since 1999 in the movie. She was in a 2001 TV show. But uh, she went on to do Space Camp. I remember watching Space Camp as a kid. I yeah, love that movie. And how to make an American quilt. She played <laughs> Sally Dodd. That's who she was in that movie. Which, <laughs> when are we doing that much? But I mean, I guess famously, I don't want to say famous. That's, that's disparaging. She married Steven Spielberg and yeah. still is married to Steven Spielberg uh, for, for now 32 years. years. 32 years. That's good for and them. I love a good what, Hollywood marriage that lasts. What most people don't realize is that they didn't get married until years after this. Yeah. Like, uh, they, they met on Seven the set years. of Temple of Doom. Yeah. And Spielberg, uh, I think, had been separated from his wife and, you know, got back together with his wife after this. Yeah. It, it took like five years after this movie was made before they ever actually got together. But when you watch the making ofs, like, you can definitely see, not that there's flirting in any way, but you can definitely see, like, the scenes where they're on set together and interacting. Like, they just look like two people who just, you know, get along like oh, oh they're either gonna be best friends or they're gonna be married one day 
I, I love, I appreciate what you said about Harrison Ford because I was going to say, like, he's really good in this film. I think it's the zombie scenes that he's, like, checked out. He's just like, write that into the script, whatever. <laughs> he the... doesn't know what to do with that. <laughs> he, he, this is kind of like, to me, you know, when we, like, download 007, it's fantastic. We talk about it enough. But you know how, like, when we did commentaries or talked about those 60 Sean Connery movies and we're like, fuck, he's good looking. Like, geez, look at mm-hmm. him. Like, this was a movie. I'm like, oh, like, I don't think I've ever oh, watched man. Star Wars and gone like, like, I'm not saying he's not attractive in Star Wars. Of course he is. He's very attractive. Harrison Ford. He's a very attractive man. But like, I don't think I've ever gone into a Star Wars movie because, oh, check him out. Like this, I'm like, whew, Harrison Ford. That, that's how Jamie sat through this movie, even when she realized it was the one she didn't like. Is she said, at least there's going to be eye candy. And eye candy where he's got his shirt off for yeah. half the movie. <laughs> but he's just, I don't know, he's glistening in this movie. But um, Kihu Kwan, like, I mean, Academy Award winner now. Like, what I, I would love to know what he's kind of said. Because, again, a lot of slack this film gets is the racist stereotypes. A lot of that's put on short round. I mean, has he sort of spoken about that? And, you know, you talked about, obviously, Kate talking about that. But, I mean... And, and what do you kind of think of, of those opinions, uh, of those opinions? See, I think that the the more, the valid argument for any type of racism this movie might be towards Indian people. And there are some behind the scenes stories about how this movie was made where you know, the Indian government wouldn't let them film there, but they, they tried to work with them, but they wouldn't let him do it. Uh, Kiyu Kwan loves this movie. Like he, we saw him and Harrison Ford that, that famous shot of them meeting backstage at the Oscars mm, and, uh, and, and a Spielberg one too, wasn't there? Yeah. Uh, y- yeah. There was like a whole reunion that they just needed. I, I, I don't know if Kate was in the picture, but she, She's retired. That she doesn't get a photo taken. <laughs> she doesn't get pictures anymore. And Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd. Oh, with the entire cast of Temple of Doom reunited. Uh, but uh, uh, I mean, Kihu Kwan, I don't know how much he brought to this, but I mean, this is, you know, he is an immigrant, obviously. And even the martial arts stuff, like, I don't know if he had really studied martial arts prior to this, but uh, I know he basically talked about like growing up Jackie Chan being his hero. And I mean, Jackie Chan for North American audience, he was living in North America at the time, but you know, North American audiences weren't really familiar with him until the nineties, but like Jackie Chan was the biggest star in the world for decades earlier than that. And he just looked at this as an opportunity as I get to be Jackie Chan in a movie and I get to be the sidekick of Indiana Jones. You know, whether there is any validity, I personally don't see any problems with the depiction of Short Round. I mean, he, again, you want to talk about a strong character. Oh, he's a very brilliant. strong character. Yeah, and it's not like he's putting on an accent or anything. I mean, this is the way the guy talks you know, still to this day. Uh, he's I think he's just such a positive person, kind of like Brendan Fraser. So appropriate they both won this year. That, I mean, he, he doesn't really see anything negative with anything he's ever done in his career. Which, uh, how incredible that. is it? Like, this, this is, again, his first movie. He auditioned for this because they did an open casting call at his school and they basically rounded up all the kids that, that met like, you know, we need, you know, slaves. Uh, Asian boys, slaves. Yes. And the rest of them uh, were slaves. You short round rest, get <laughs> dig, dig some rocks. But, but after that open casting call, they basically had called him and his brother in, or I think his brother was going in first and Spielberg was just sort of watching the waiting room as Kiyu Kwan was bossing his brother around, telling him, go here, do this, do that. And he's like, Forget about the brother. I want this kid. Like, bring him in to meet with me. No acting experience. Complete fluke that he even got picked to even do casting for this. And they almost give him the role on the spot. It's the thing. I mean, I've not been backwards and coming forwards about my opinions on kids in movies and how they can be annoying as fuck. But it's, to me, it's like Jurassic Park, right? Like, never in a, in a million years have I ever thought anything negative against Lex and Tim. Like, they're fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I think this, I mean, maybe it's just a Spielberg thing. 
I mean, I know you didn't exactly like Kelly in, in The Lost World, but I still argue Kelly is the third best child in the Jurassic Park franchise. Um, so, you know, maybe it's a Spielberg. Because Spielberg generally, you think of any movie with kids of Spielberg, it's not like he has really bad kids in any of his movies, right? E.T., oh. like... Jaws. Encounters. There's a kid doing the little what the Jaws, yeah. You know, like there's there's just something Poltergeist. About <laughs> I, I mean he he produced and wrote it, but yeah, still Poltergeist. Can't say I've seen that's Poltergeist all he made on. his he made his career off of working with kids. And yet if you're gonna you could make an argument for maybe Henry Thomas and E.T. gives a more dramatic performance, but I would argue that the single most entertaining performance he ever got, and maybe the most natural performance he ever got out of any kid throughout his entire career is probably Kihu Kwan in Temple of Doom. Not saying it's the best dramatic, but like you've never seen a kid this natural in a movie. And there's a scene coming up, which was actually his screen test. Uh, that's pretty early in the movie here, which was hundred percent improvised. Now you got a kid with no acting experience who improvises a scene with Harrison Ford and it makes it into the final cut. He's 13 as well in this film. I'm just looking here, like the, the world we live in right now, obviously we're recording this in 2023 Academy Award winner now uh, has just apparently been listed as one of our time's most influential people in the world, if you don't mind. And the photo of Kihu Kwan on Wikipedia is him standing at a lectern with the President of the United States seal of you know, the, the seal on it. So I don't know if he was speaking at the White House or something like that. But um, I mean, this is short round, ladies and gentlemen, from who we're about to talk. <laughs> I mean, if all of them, Harrison Ford's had a shit career, hasn't he? One of these married Steven Spielberg. One of them went on to win an Oscar. <laughs> Harrison Ford's crashing planes, uh, <laughs> marrying thin people, and <laughs> having to do movies he doesn't want to do. He's being forced to do. After all, <laughs> oh, I'll play Han Solo again. I'll play Indiana Jones again. Um, but yeah, pretty incredible that. It's, um, it is a bit of a white savior movie, though, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's not even the Indiana Jones part. It's, uh, I, I just want to say it now. Like, I think that there's a very different view among Indian people about the British's involvement. Yes. It's the fact that the only inside character here who is not taken in by the villains, who comes in to miraculously save the day is the other white British general too. Yeah. Um, I, that, that, I'll be absolutely honest with you. This is a weird thing. I didn't even realize this was a thing in movies until many years ago when I rewatched the air up there uh and then i sort of read the cr- i was like there's criticism on the air up there <laughs> who are these people next you'll be telling me they don't like any um <laughs> but any i don't want to so high Eddie. but um <laughs> but then i kind of like it clicks you know like, yeah it kind of is and then this one i'm watching it going oh this is a bit of white savior uh yeah. <laughs> the white man's gonna come in and fix the thing that the non-white <laughs> man can't do but um, again, it was the eighties. You're allowed to do that. Uh, <laughs> not, not so. I, I did. I actually, I rewatched the uh, honest trailer, and I like it how they say like, um, you only live doing these movies makes you live long enough to become the villain in a Black Panther movie. <laughs> you, you've got like, uh, what's his face in the first Black Panther movie? Like the scene going like, you, do you know how this ends up in a museum or something like this? Or do you know where this comes from? And then they cut to like Indiana Jones going, that belongs in a museum. <laughs> so it's like, maybe Harrison Ford will end up being in a Marvel movie and uh, he will be the next villain in Wakanda Forever Part he, 2. He is. We, we, do we not talk about that? He's cast in... Is it the the new Captain America? No, I didn't know. He's, he's taken over for General. He's taken over for William Hurt, General Ross. Oh, is he like playing the same character or just playing? Yeah, a... same character. But I think he's supposed to be president in the new one too. Oh, well, was he so freaking like turn as president? As, as, like the same president from Air Force One? Is this just like the <laughs> the, the Air Force One MCU expanded universe? <laughs> I didn't know that. 
I don't, there's something about when you find you you get excited and sad at the same time when certain actors get cast in a comic book movie, right? You kind of yeah. like find like everybody seems to just need to do it, but there's also a moment where you're just like, really, Harrison? Like that's below you. You were Han Solo yeah. and Indiana Jones. <laughs> it's kind of like like Helen Mirren, like Helen. Like I mean, she was great in in Shazam, but there's just some of these actors like who like I mean, Meryl Streep still hasn't done a superhero movie. Just saying, it's Meryl fucking Streep. She's not doing one. You know, uh, Daniel Day Lewis, Kate Capshaw, Kate and Kihu Kwan haven't done one yet. Yeah, um, I'm <laughs> trying to think who, who's like a really esteemed actor that you think would have done one by now. I mean, Kevin Bacon Gary did Oldman? the holidays. He did DC, I guess. Well, Gary Oldman's yeah, he's he was Commissioner Gordon, but that was the arty. Um, yeah. But he did Harry Potter, though. I mean, he doesn't really exactly have one. Anthony mean, Hopkins was the original. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sir Anthony Hopkins. Sir Anthony Hopkins, two-time uh, Academy Award. But again, Hannibal Lecter. Well, anyway, let's get into this. Famous last words. This won't take long. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, the, the majority of this film is just action. So, I mm-hmm. guess... And, and as always, I'm hosting this one. I'm going through it. And Colin's here to fill in the gaps. Because uh, often I will forget things. Or probably just completely ignore key plot points. Key Hu Kwan plot points. Is that racist? Um, <laughs> Colin's shaking his head. That was a joke. I don't know. I Colin is that. You know how like they now have like, what are they like? Love making coordinators on set to make sure that touching and everything is appropriate. <laughs> Colin's like my racial advisor. Like, <laughs> is that racist? <laughs> Colin's like, nope, you're good. Uh, Once upon a time was Noah's job, but we saw how uh, that went. That's why he's never on this episode, because we just can't hire a good enough racial coordinator to uh, go with that. Um, But just like Raiders, we get straight into this. And because rather than having a giant boulder, that's a nice boulder. How do we not make Shrek references last episode, by the way? Um, Chasing and and freaking Alfred Molina and spiders. We have a rousing number of anything goes... (laughs) In, I, I don't know if this is Mandarin or Cantonese, so I'm just going to say it's in a Chinese language. Mandarin. It's Mandarin, okay. Um, but, I mean, this is fun. Like, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> I like, I, you never... Like, I guess... I think you kind of mentioned it last week, and I didn't remember it. But, like, do people remember that at the beginning of an Indiana Jones movie, it's like the 1930s, like, uh, you know, Moulin Rouge cabaret style... Uh, <laughs> Thing. Is this really old Kate doing this as well? Is yeah, she singing? She had to. She had to learn Mandarin. She had to learn the song in Mandarin to do this. That's like um, I interviewed many, many moons ago on my radio show, Jeffrey J, the lead singer of Eiffel sixty five, Blue, I'm Blue, and mm-hmm. so beginning of Iron Man three, when you hear um, Blue uh, by Eiffel sixty five in the closing credits, they played it again, and for the Chinese audiences, he had to re-record that in Chinese, and he's like, <laughs> that was really hard. Like, yo, listen up, here's a story. Like, you had to do that in freaking... It's, wait, wait, it, isn't it the one lyric in that song? How hard could it be? <laughs> There's more than the beginning, the second greatest song of all time, Colin. <laughs> be careful now. Um, so we've got this uh, rousing rendition of this. Because this, we didn't get the Indiana Jones logo in the first movie, did we? So we get that famous Indiana yeah. Jones curved font, which looks really cool. Which, again, going back to your point about this being like a 30s adventure film, like... Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Like, it sounds so, like, just amazing like that. But um, you want the James Bond vibes. Here's old Indy in a white tuxedo looking old dapper with the red flower. So he's um, here. It's kind of a real spy off. He's got a diamond. Uh, he wants a diamond. 
And uh, no, he's got no, he's got no, he wants a diamond. See again, I'm, yeah. I'm looking right. And he's giving up. What's he giving up? Like ashes, the remains and, of a former emperor or something. So he's got this real standoff. And um, oh, Mrs. Spielberg here is the, I guess, the squeeze of the mob. And we're in Shanghai, so yeah, we're the the, the Chinese mob. I'm guessing this is or, or something along those lines. And it's just a real standoff here. Like oh, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. And it's like. You went your point about this knows what it is. Like, mm-hmm. literally, here's the diamond, here's this, and I'll drink to this. <laughs> You've got moments to live, Mr. Jones. You might want the antidote for the poison <laughs> I gave you. <laughs> this is an episode of James Bond Jr., isn't it? Like, yeah. I mean, but, like, again, as you said, it knows what it is. From the very beginning. And this is why this is fun. Like, it's just like, ha, ha, ha. I've got the antidote, Mr. Jones. Nothing will stop me now. And then this kind of like leads to like this gun standoffs. Like, Indy's got someone. He dies in the most dramatic way with red paint on his chest. I had so many adventures, (laughs) but I go out on a high. This is kill Phil acting, but it's brilliant. (laughs) Um, and then we get this like really fun sequence where there's like shooting and everyone's running around. I remember this bit, like they're kind of going on the floor. So Indy's trying to get the antidote while, uh, old Mrs. Spielberg's trying to get the diamond. There's ice spread everywhere. And she's all like, Oh, like, I'm not going to be able to find it. Does she actually get the diamond back? Is this ever established? Uh, no. Cause I think that the final shot we see of the diamond is that's when the ice falls on yeah. the floor. So yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Cause I just, I like this one part of the movie. I'm thinking like, did this serve a purpose besides getting them on a plane to crash? Like, cause I'm, I always or thought you they? came. Because what I, is it? He reaches into her dress. So yeah, maybe they do. No, but I'm he reaches into here. the dress to get the antidote. That's when he gets the oh, antidote. Okay. Yeah. But I was just thinking that like, I always thought they came back to this at the end of the movie or something like that. But again, this is a Bond pre-title sequence, right? So mm-hmm. um, they eventually are able to escape the building and then we meet Short Round who we've got a... How old is actually Short? Is he meant to be 13, same age as Kihi Kwan or is he... Uh, I mean, somewhere 10 to 12, that area. I love how he's like driving this car and also he's got his New York Yankees cap on. Um, I really want one of these scientists like debunk like what poison could have an antidote that quickly because he's also <laughs> like not dying as well. It's not like he's going like, oh, oh, oh. Um, but then we get a cool car chase through the streets of Shanghai. Short round just like literally bossing people, stupid romantic couples on horse carriages uh, <laughs> and just driving through the streets and then he gets straight to an airport terminal where who are they greeted by? 1984's Jim Carrey, it's Dan Aykroyd, I mean, Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones. I mean, Jesus, behind Jim Carrey, did he have the biggest ever year of movies? What, what is the deal with Dan Aykroyd? Is this a favourite of Spielberg or something? Because like, this is an uncredited <sighs> cameo, and, you, and they deliberately do it in a way where you don't see his face. Like You hear yeah. his voice, but right at the end of the plane, like they, I swear this is done deliberately so you don't get taken away by the fact this is Dan Aykroyd, a pretty big fucking movie star in 1984, right? Oh, huge. Uh, I, it, he does get a credit, I think, uh, during the end credits. But again, they're trying to not make it so obvious that it's Dan Aykroyd. The funny thing is, I don't think Dan Aykroyd had ever been in, involved in anything anybody in this movie had done. You know, he hadn't done anything with Spielberg before, never did anything with Lucas. Uh, this might have just been something where he's like, oh, I'm a huge fan of the first one. Or maybe he was... 
in London at the time or something when like they were a Daniel filming Craig it. sort of uh, Star yeah, Wars type of thing. The way that Tom Hardy and uh, Daniel Craig were. Maybe that was this is the original. This is the reason why we have Daniel Craig and uh, Prince Harry and everybody <laughs> else in the Star Wars movies. In sync in the prequels. Did that? Did we talked about that, didn't we? That was uh, meant to be a thing, right? That NSYNC were meant to be in one of the prequels. Yeah, yeah. we did talk about that, Attack of the Clones. But it's, it's just hilarious. And, like, I mean, obviously, great Canadian, Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. Is he doing much? I think we talked about this recently, didn't we? But is he still kicking? He, I mean, he had a cameo in the new Ghostbusters movie. Uh, but I don't think he's actually actively involved in anything outside of that. He, I think, doesn't he do a wine or like he, I think he's gone into business doing some product, which is doing, because he's on Instagram. Like I remember following him, but I'm pretty sure he's like started like a, a wine or something food related. Could be wrong. Maybe it's something else. But um, also just speaking of actors we like who are doing things. Get to LA, Pierce Brosnan has his own exhibition at the moment. Did you see that? I saw that, yeah. Yeah, I want to go and there's like a big sign that says Pierce Brosnan. On the <laughs> like, I just want to hang around there all day to see if he's going to show up. But um, Dan Aykroyd puts him on a plane and uh, I do kind of like where um, Harrison, well, Indy sort of sees the, the evil guy who's chasing there and he's all like, oh, you nearly got me. Mwahaha. And, I, and it's like, whatever the guy's name is. Lao Shea. Nice La- try, Lao Shea. <laughs> closes the door and it's like, Lao Shea Lao Airlines. Shea. <laughs> <laughs> but then I just, I even love the way these guys is like, ah, 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 ah. you'll think you got away with it, Hindi. Ah, 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 ah. And he kind of like gives a salute to the pilot. Um, and then we get the, I love kind of just Indy just wanting to sit down. And this is where this is where we get old Mrs. Spielberg kind of being like, I'm a singer, I'm not going here, I'm doing this, I'm that. Oh, shut up, doll. <laughs> and puts the uh, the hat down on the head, which, I mean, again, disparaging, sure. But again, the defense, not saying it was defensible in the 30s, but that's how we were in the 30s. It and see, this is part of my complaint is that when you have modern movies that take place, like a movie made today that takes place during this era, if you don't include sexist references like that, people are like, that's not accurate, even though this isn't necessarily the way everybody was. Yeah. Uh, but then if you put it in there, it's like, well, that's sexist. Like, is there no winning here? <laughs> yeah. What's that? Way? I mean, Green Book, like Green Book gets talked about, oh, watered down yeah. racism. Still racism in that movie. Like, I mean, it's mm-hmm. maybe like, what do they want? These people who are like, oh, that movie wasn't racist enough. You didn't show the real form of racism. We in want this. more racism, more racism. <laughs> Isn't Forrest Gump being cancelled now because it's, you know, like, ah, oh, everything. <laughs> we're, 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 how are we not being cancelled? Um, we were. That's why we're the old network. We got not rid of Noah. anymore. Um, but uh, so they're flying over. We get the da 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 with the map again. This is the only map we get in this movie, isn't it? Um, yeah. But still, like. So, like, this was a thing before Indiana Jones. We talked about this last week, right? This is like a 30s movies thing. Yeah, because how else were you, during those age, how were you going to show travel without having to actually film an airplane, which was pretty much impossible, you know? I love it, though. Like, it's just, like, I'm a a map guy. I love geography and and atlases and things like that. So I I just love this just, like, basic, like, what have they got? And they've got, like, a piece of paper on a map. Spielberg's got, like, a camera and just kind of, like, you know, slowly panned across it. And they've gone in post like the 80s version of like a, you know, a red line. Da, 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 with like a fade of a plane. Like, that's how we know they're traveling, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> if only they did this in Casino Royale and they just had like a 
Da, 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 with like Bond and Vespa fucking every day, like falling in love, laughing, like you know, I would have believed that was a love story. <laughs> Re-edit. I, I want the Martin Campbell cut <laughs> of uh, Casino Royale. Um, but they're asleep. All you know, short round indie and Mrs. Spielberg, and then all of a sudden the pilots are like, ah, parachutes. Parachutes for the both of us. <laughs> Not anymore. Uh, and they jump out. And the gets, one guy shoves the other one out. That's what's even better. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I do. I do love just like the reaction here because the, it's so Mary Goodnight because like I'm stuck in the boot. Uh, like when, when she opens the thing, like, oh, I can't exactly get out of the boot right now because this is there where we get Mr. Spielberg basically like, uh... Yeah, we don't have any pilots. Oh, we, oh, and what does Indiana Jones wake up like? Oh, we're nearly there yet. Oh, not really. And I love just all their reactions that they look through the door and just they've got this like duh look as they look through it. Which again, the um the honest trailers are quite funny, making fun of Harrison Ford's like crashing planes. Uh, <laughs> what is, what does he say here when he's like in the cockpit? Like, do you know how to fly? No, but how no, hard no, could it be? You? <laughs> and it's no, like, do you? <laughs> Automata fuel Which- fuel. <laughs> this this will come back next week when he actually clearly learned how to fly in the mm, what three years between here yeah which that's the point they're making fun of because they show that clip and then they show all the headlines i think harrison ford's crashed about three different planes in his career <laughs> by the time we release he's probably died in a plane crash but um so and i i like there's one thing i'll say about kihu kwan here i just love the over. And this again fits into that narrative of this movie knows what it is because freaking Kiwi Kwan comes out here, Indy, no parachutes. Yeah. <laughs> he's doing his arms. It's so over the top. It's brilliant. And so, how are they going to do this? How are they going to escape? This is so James Bond because it's not literally just like, uh, 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 just like, hmm, oh, yeah. And he pulls out a life raft. And is it um, Mrs. Spielberg here who's just kind of like, we're, we're in the air, we're not on the water. Ah! Like, they jump out in a freaking line. I remember, everyone remembers this. This is kind of like the Boulder Escape in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Again, mm. not plausible in the slides. Although, did they really do this? Because there are people in that, aren't there? In, in, well, I don't know about the fall from the airplane. In fact, I think that's pretty much impossible. Mission impossible. Tom Cruise would have done it. <laughs> um, but, I mean, like, I kind of feel like James Bond missed a trick. This should This is... I mean, you're going to write this higher than the cello case because, I mean, Timothy Dalton didn't jump out of a plane, but, I mean, like, still. But, like, what just makes this even funny is you've got a pretty bad CGI shot of a plane crashing into the mountain. Again, I just don't... We talked about this back in Star Wars. We'll talk about it in Back to the Future later this year. I didn't get this obsession with explosions and sparks in the 80s. Like, I mean, why? Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're just... It's dumb. So they're coming down this mountain. Well, we're coming down the mountain when we come... <laughs> And then I love when they sort of get to the air and like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then all of a sudden they fall off this cliff. That to me is even more implausible than them coming out of a plane because at least the plane kind of looks like they're slightly close to the ground. This one is in this giant cliff and then it's like, ah! <laughs> and then smack on the water. Oh, it's so much fun. And then we get uh, introduced to the theme song of this movie. <laughs> Who's who's doing this one again? Sheena Easton, Temple of Doom. Doom, doom. Da, 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 da. <laughs> For your Temple of Doom. Or is it a, we're a year out from a view to a kill? Meeting you in a Temple of Doom. Um, they're coming down the river. 
and we meet our first uh, Indian tribesman here. And I'll, I'll go to the end of the village bit here. So they're basically walking through. We've got a decimated village. We've got all these like women who are all like, oh, help us, help us. Where are our children? They um, get fed. What What is this meant to be eating? Just local delicacy? It's some type of grain, it looks like. I do love old Mrs. Spielberg here. I'm not hungry. <laughs> it's like, you're embarrassing me. Oh, this would totally be me and Jamie. Jamie oh, would definitely be the person who's like, me too. Uh, no, thanks. I'm not hungry. Oh, here you have it. I'm like, Jamie, you're embarrassing us. Me too. I would definitely like, like if I'm on Survivor and it's like to win shit, absolutely. Fucking put it in my mouth. I don't care. <laughs> if this is just me trying not to offend people, I'm just like, oh, I don't like, want to eat. I'm keto. I can't. Do you have and anything? You gotta love the fly that's there where she's trying to put it in her mouth and there's a l- real fly that's swarming around her hand. It's so much good. But I love what is it? Hey, this is like, this is more food than they eat in a week. It's like, like, if I'm the villagers, I'm like, well, fuck off. Like, I'm hungry. Like, I haven't eaten in a week. Like, why are you giving it to the white man, racist? Uh, like, I mean, that that's racism right there. White people come in, have a week's worth of food. The, the non-white people starve. Your kids have gone missing. Fucking just eat some rice. Like, one grain of rice is what you got for the week. Um, This is where we basically, I guess, get the plot of the movie. So... And again, fill the gaps in here for me, Colin. So there is a, a evil bunch of people in a temple who have stolen their magic rock. And basically mm-hmm. this magic rock protects them from evil. And then if they yeah. get all the rocks, it, it's it's the Avengers. It's, it's Thanos. <laughs> he wants the yeah. Infinity Stones. That's essentially what this plot of this movie is. So why, why doesn't everybody talk about the Avengers stealing from Indiana Jones <laughs> in the Temple of Doom? Um so, and he's all like, I want you to go back into that temple because you're a white man and you can do it better than we can and you can save the day for us. At least Indiana Jones actually is relevant to the plot in this movie. Um, so, there, and Indiana Jones is basically like, well, uh, you know, I'm just going to Delhi. I don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, well, I prayed to the gods for you to come here and here you have fallen out of the sky. It's very lost. It's very Benjamin Linus. Mm. I had a, you know, uh, literally a spinal surgeon fell out of the sky because I had like spine cancer. And so that's going to set them up to go on this quest to go get this rock back from the Temple of Doom, which is never uttered in this movie, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yeah. I was, I was going to say, you got the majority of the plot there. Okay. <laughs> well um, done. While they're at night, there's a, a... Oh, and all the kids have been stolen, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, basically. Which So why are the kids being stolen? Is it just because they're evil? Just and it's slave like, laborers. Slave labor. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's India. That's the... Because they're searching for the last two stones, which, again, are never found. Right. Yeah. Because there's five, right? There's supposed to be five, yeah. God, where's the sequel to this? Temple of yeah. Doom 2. Uh, <laughs> Infinity War. Well, Endgame. Well. Um, so, oh, so can we just randomly, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, ra- ra- why is no one bagged out Dial of Destiny is a terrible title for a movie? I kind of like Dial of Destiny. Oh, I didn't like it terrible. originally. It's one of these things that's grown on me. I don't know. It just sounds a bit, yeah, hokey religions and that, uh, no point for a blaster <laughs> at my side. Uh, so anyway, little kid shows up late at night. Uh, but he's got a map. So, so glad this kid like sacrifices himself so Indy can get a map. Which it looks like a Kama Sutra diagram. Look up Kama Sutra, Colin, if you don't know what that is. Um, so then the next morning, they're all off on their quest on an elephant. I love this elephant. Um, oh, Mrs. Uh, Spielberg doesn't. And I love it when she's on the elephant and she's like, 
coating it in like aftershave or something. Like yeah. This. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Perfume gets thrown off into the water. Everyone's laughing at her. She's crying. Um, and maybe I will cap it just after the uh, camping scene because that's oh, I love that scene when it's just like. You've got short round and indie playing cards. Uh, you're cheating, Mr. Jones. You're cheating. Like, no, you're cheating. You're cheating, which is so much funny. I should have mentioned Kate Capshaw is called Willie. Big Willie yeah. star. Why is she called Willie? Like, Actually, so here's the trivia. Uh, so we, we didn't even talk about it last week, but we definitely mentioned it during the Star Wars recaps. The character name Indiana Jones. Indiana was the name of George Lucas's dog, which is the same mm. dog that Chewbacca was modeled after. Uh, when they made this movie... Steven Spielberg wanted to name the female character after his dog, which was named Willie. He had a dog named Willie. And then the the screenwriters, the co-screenwriters of this, uh, Willard Hike and Gloria Katz, who were George Lucas's uh, co-screeners on American Graffiti, and they did like some uncredited work on New Hope, basically adding on the banter. Their dog's name was Short Round. So all three of the characters, the hero characters in this movie, are named after the writers, producers, and directors' dogs. Wow. Here we have these big wig Hollywood studio type who name characters after their dogs. Yet when I get a cat next, I'm calling it Roger Moore. So <laughs> why didn't I like in Kill Phil name characters Pippa or Becky? Like, you know, I didn't go that far. But I love this sequence of just them playing cards. And then Willie's just like, she's me in the jungle. Because like, I'm Australian and I still get terrified over these things. Literally, she's like, turns the corner. Ah, there's a bat. Ah, there's a snake. Ah there's a lizard ah there's a bug like that's so funny like it's just like everywhere she turns and then she just have this sequence where i was like literally watching the sequence go like what's the deal with this elephant like hitting her i don't get why is this elephant still tapping her when basically indiana jones is going like oh and this is this is what this map means and this person and that person and there's magic stones and everything and I love uh, Willie here's just all like, oh, what are you talking about? I did a wizard and it was just ridiculous and he went bankrupt. So then he's like, I'm going to sleep. And then this snake goes on her shoulder and she's just like, oh, picks it up, throws it. I hate that elephant. To which I do love Indiana Jones. He's just like, oh, oh, snakes, snakes. Um, And then just a great sequence. So uh, basically everything. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to end it here. This is the start of the movie to this sequence here. So go for your Uh, life. I was just going to say, before I even get to the beginning part of the level, she said, I did a wizard one time or whatever. You did a wizard? No, that's what you were saying. It's like where she's like, oh, I did like a wizard or a magician at one time. She talks about her grandfather here. So I'm like, she did her grandfather? What? I was at a granddad. I thought thought she. Oh, my grandfather was a magician. He made a lot of. Sorry. I thought. Because then she even says, he made a lot of children happy. Well, Ben's interpreting a different. Well, I mean, a week ago we had like pedophilia. Now we've got incest. Yeah. Yeah, This one would make sense to Indy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the first thing is, that I was I noted there's no yellow face in this movie uh, after the, some of the unfortunate, let's make some of the white yeah, stuntmen that we brought over from England, all the Arabs, uh, but we will get that <laughs> once we get to some of the India stuff, but at least they cast some real, you know, some real Asians in the opening sequence here. I, I'm surprised you didn't, uh, well, you did pick up on Connery's white tux. I mean, they definitely were- Connery's? Th- th- they're embracing James Bond in this OPC. This is not even, even if you include the diamond there, like I struggle to see this as Indiana Jones. Like what is Indiana Jones doing with just one diamond? If he had identified this is the ancient diamond or whatever, then I would be like, okay, this makes sense. But is he just trying to get paid off? I do think there's something interesting about the fact that this is a prequel because George Lucas' mm. idea was he wanted to set this a year earlier for two reasons. One, uh, he wanted to avoid the Nazis, which... We As everyone should. 
But when we talked about last week, like you know, a year earlier is not going to necessarily mean the Nazis don't exist, especially since the war hasn't even started yet. But the other part was that he wanted the character to be different. And there's obviously an idea that they had in this movie that they don't quite go far enough with about Indy isn't necessarily the guy this belongs in a museum that we're going to be seeing in the next movie, which is even more earlier than this because it's young Indiana Jones who says that in the next one. But he's the fortune and glory one. So in this movie, the idea that he's accepting this diamond, maybe this is just his payoff. You know, he's still a professor, but he's like, ah, it's summer vacation. I'm going to make some money by stealing some human remains and trading. Like, this is the single shadiest thing he does in any of his movies. Mm. Forget about literally being a grave robber. This guy has human remains Mm. (laughs) and he is selling it back to the descendants of the person that that he has the human remains of. Like, this is sketchy stuff. Uh, But it's a different character. And that's why I think I can accept some of the inconsistencies with this indie and what we get in the others, uh, because that line comes up often in here. It's fortune and glory here. Um, but a lot of this movie was sort of developed on the go and it was using a lot of recycled elements. So this is the same way that James Bond movies and mission impossible movies are made now. Like they'll, they'll come up with all these different ideas for a movie and then when they write the script, like, oh, we kind of had to cut this one sequence, but let's use it maybe in a future movie. And I swear half of the stuff in this movie is just the stuff that was in the original script for Raiders that have to be cut for budget reasons or time, uh, including like this gong. The, the chase in the opening here with this gong was a shot from the original Raiders they wanted to do. We're going to get tons of other things throughout the movie. That's that a cool were shot too, when he, like, he's rolling it when he's on the dance yeah. floor. Like, that's, that's Using cool. Using it as a shield for all the that's bullets. That's very Bond. Yeah, uh, but uh, I-, I love, though, during that sequence around the table with Lao Shea, uh, which I-, I have some questions, but <laughs> the first thing is where he uh, thinks he's going to get the antidote, and he so he gives him the, the, the remains and the diamond back, and then he's got Willie with, like, the fork in her dress, mm. and he's like, you keep her, I'll get another girl, and they're yeah. just, ha, 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 But then I wonder Kill why it. did he it bring... nothing to me. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, but, but like, why bring the antidote? If your intention was you wanted both of these things back and you never intended to give him the antidote, he, the antidote works. You know, so, you know what it reminds you? Sorry to interrupt, but you know, in the beginning of um, Toy Story, when you've got little Andy doing like the little like make believe version of like the toys, and it's like, I'll get you. What are you? Ah, oh, oh, and he's got like Piggy and all that sort of stuff. Like it just, oh, yeah. it just reminds me of that opening sequence of Toy Story. It's so much fun. <laughs> Like, and this is fun. This is a, a B yeah. movie. And I think the thing that threw a lot of people off is that this is almost going towards being a kid's movie. This is like James Bond, You Only Live Twice, as opposed to, you know, From Russia With Love or Thunderball. But then they go so far in the opposite direction. Which, I mean, the, the reason for this one being darker, it kind of came, I, I'd say it was a combination of Spielberg and Lucas. They both have sort of told the story like, Spielberg's marriage had broken up, uh, and George Lucas needed is, a new you know, wife. <laughs> he was like, Cast me a hot blonde woman. It. Well, it was almost like that, actually. But uh, uh, George Lucas's wife had left him during production of Return of the Jedi. As she should. Well, they had just adopted a child, too. So, I mean, George Lucas was basically not. He, he even says in, in uh, the, the Blu ray uh, making of that they did, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, George Lucas says, I was going through divorce, and I think the mood really reflects the fact that I was not in a good mood. Could you tell, Luke? Is that who you can tell? That's exactly, (laughs) that's a lot he said to his wife. Could you tell, John, is that who you can tell? Put it in the script. But I mean, they they both sort of had admitted they went darker on this than they even intended to, and it wasn't even until they watched the movie assembled where they're like, 
wow, I didn't realize how dark this thing turned out. But they they tried to throw a lot of comedy here. Like George Lucas from the beginning said, I want this to be like Empire, where Empire was the darker movie, but it had, we talked about during Empire, the parts of that movie that are funny are funnier than anything you get in A New Hope or Return of the Jedi. Like it is almost, you know, like a slapstick comedy at times. Yeah. And it's the same thing with this. Like this opening sequence is slapstick comedy. And then you get to the darker stuff later. I just going to add really quickly, but like maybe that's a Harrison Ford thing too, because like there was so many moments in this movie that reminds me of Han Solo. Like it's sort of, mm. and it's not the, the character wise, it's just how Harrison Ford delivers that in peril funny like the the sequence with the it was very trash compactor with the whole i know i'm yeah. jumping ahead here with like the giant spikes and everything there'll be two dead people in here yeah. but like it's just like he's got a way of doing that and i don't know like obviously lucas isn't directing this um mm-hmm. but like i don't know there's just something very the way that harrison Ford can deliver that with his charisma and it's like i've not really ever seen a lot of interviews with harrison ford like in the 70s or 80s or something in the 90s but like you kind of got that old grandpa, I hate life sort of grumpy old man porch Harrison Ford. He's still endearing and funny nowadays. Yeah. But like, I, I just like, he's, I don't, this, I don't know how this sounds. He's kind of lost a bit of charm, Harris. He's got old man charm. Whereas mm-hmm. this is like a different type of charm. So I'd love to see his personality back sort of them because he's just got a way of being this way. Sorry, and, keep interrupting. And, and despite the fact that like, we'll get into later in this movie, like the bad shape Harrison Ford was in. In fact, it's this opening sequence. So this is obviously all shot out of order. They did all the location stuff for first, which there's actually very little real locations in this movie, but you know, the elephant ride and uh, you know, the, the, the Shanghai stuff that was done first. And then all the studio stuff that came back now, when they were filming um, uh, the, the elephant ride first, Harrison Ford basically said he started to have some back pain just from sitting on the elephant all the time. And then there's another part later on in the movie where he injured his back. And it was when they were filming this opening sequence that Harrison Ford was pulled from the set. And uh, George Lucas actually when he told the story that he was commuting back and forth between the States and London while they were filming this. And Spielberg literally called him one day when he was back in, in San Francisco and said, so Harrison Ford is injured and he's not doing good at all. And Lucas said, okay, I'll get on a plane. I'll come down there. Lucas showed up on set when they were filming this sequence and Harrison Ford literally had a bed that was on set and he would be lying down in between takes and people would help him up out of the bed. And so a lot of what you're seeing here where he's just you know sitting in a chair and then even the scene, I, you can see it a lot in the scene where he's poisoned and he stands up and you get all those dancers that come out and they're like, da, 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 da. and then Harrison Ford gets up. He looks like he's drunk. And they're just like, ah, like, Jamie even asked, like, why are they screaming? But like, I, I can see a lot of Harrison Ford's discomfort in this sequence here. But they they shut down filming at this point and then did as much as they could with stunt doubles for like a couple of weeks while he had a surgery. But uh, uh, I'd love to go back and watch this movie and actually try to pinpoint how many times, oh, there's a close up of Harrison Ford. There's a stunt double or whatever. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't recognize his friend here who gets shot. Uh, his his sidekick guy. This is very James Bond like sidekick. He did look so much familiar. so that. He it was James Bond sidekick. This was Chuck Lee from A View to a Kill. Ah, a okay. Like I legitimately did look at him and like, I guess I maybe didn't want to play that card of he looks yeah. like this person. Is this, is this the of... Chinese guy from A View to a Kill? No, but like I literally was like looking and going like he's so familiar. Even the yeah. the the pit boss evil guy, he's been in things too. Like, yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. But, oh, I looked Chuck at his... Lee. Oh, there he is. I... So yeah, guy Roy Chow. I looked at his filmography. It says he's most well known for playing Laoshe in Temple of Doom. Um, a couple of it, like movies here, he was an uncredited role in Enter the Dragon. He was in Bruce Lee's final movie, Game of Death. Um, 
yeah not a lot of like american films that this guy's done but like you definitely recognize him. blood sport he was in blood sport so a van damme movie uh but yeah chuck lee here dies very early in the movie uh, i also love the shot though where we talk about just randomly punching people in the face one of the waitresses harrison ford you can tell yes, it's on, I, oh, I forgot so, about yeah. that he punches a woman he and a kid a in this waitress movie in a face. <laughs> And again, that wasn't Aristotle acting. I'm in pain. Oh, yeah. shit. Sorry. Get Sorry. Out of my face. Sorry, Jesse. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if you ever knew this trivia or you caught that the club that Willie is singing at, where the sequence takes place, is Club Obi Wan. No, no, I didn't. Cool. You didn't catch it. Go back and look at it. There's several shots when they're exiting the building, both when they're diving out of the building and then when Short Round's parked out front. It's very clear the sign Club Obi Wan. Oh, yeah. I see it. Obi Wan yeah. Nightclub. Nice. Uh, so yeah, when they're in the back, I love like any round that uh, any round, any line that short any round short has round. just amazing. <laughs> short short lines, a short round, but it's like hold on to your potatoes, like it's it's just great. And then when Indy's <laughs> when Indy's reaching in to get the the antidote, he's like, hey, no time for loving, Doctor yeah. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then I love that reveal too. Like, nice try, Laoshe, and then Laoshe Airlines, and even oh, Doctor Jones. You do wonder the why they waited so long. Maybe they were waiting for everybody to be asleep before they dove out of the airplane. But like, they travel quite a ways. Like, they're going from Shanghai and they're above India yeah. by the time they actually blow this plane up. Um, and, and yeah, all the the banter and everything. Apparently, there's cameos now. I can't pinpoint it, nor if I even got this confirmation. But one of the trivia bits that I read was that the airport scene where Dan Aykroyd's walking them to the plane, uh, that there is a cameo of both Spielberg, Frank Marshall, and George Lucas hmm. apparently in there. Although I question that because, well, AI can't really see anybody that looks like George Lucas. And George Lucas in Revenge of the Sith, we talked about that being the only cameo. He said, I'm going to only, the only time I'll ever do a cameo in my old movies will be the final Star Wars movie. Uh, so maybe they're not in here, but Dan Aykroyd too, just like the, the ridiculous over the top delivery of the lines. It's like, uh, there may be a slight problem as you'll be riding with a cargo of live poultry. <laughs> He's that He's very like, like a he does sound like that very like 30s, like, hello yeah, everyone, and come on to the <laughs> cinema and join in. Like he's got that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, this is the rip roaring adventure of yeah. young Indiana Jones. <laughs> um, yeah, you, the the plane ride. This also was meant for Raiders of the Lost Ark. That this was, I think, this was supposed to be the scene where Indy was before he gets to Marion. That the very first time we see that that travel red dot. There was supposed to be a thing where you saw the Nazi on the plane and he was going to be left there and it was going to crash. And then he'd have to find some other way to get to Nepal or whatever. So this is recycled from that. This is one of those moments where it doesn't even take black magic for it to defy physics and logic and biology. It would be one thing if they use the life raft as a parachute and you see it slows them down. But like we're watching this. It is falling at the same rate as a human body. <laughs> and this life raft is inflated on the sides, but like they hit on a flat surface it's not inflated on the bottom of this life raft so they're dead there and then like you said they're dead again as they go over the waterfall uh this is just as is a nuclear bomb going off maybe a little bit more over the top yes but a nuclear bomb goes off objects do survive you will see a car that that is flipped through the air and survives is it impossible for somebody to survive maybe but it is just as impossible for somebody to survive this fall from an airplane on a life raft uh, or the waterfall so let's just be equally critical here uh the um 
The, the India stuff here. Uh, oh, I also love the, the rafting part, which this was another sequence from Raiders. There was going to be a rafting sequence that they recycled in here. Uh, Willie's changing. I remember how uh, I mentioned Harrison Ford last time where he had the, the it's a date. You eat them. They're, they're, Willie does the exact opposite here where she's like, I hate the water. I hate being wet and I hate you. <laughs> and she says growling like somebody out of the exorcist. <laughs> Uh, this is that type of like, this is a fun character to play. So like, who cares about stereotypes? Like this is entertainment. Uh, the, um, uh, the, the tribal scene. So this guy who's explaining the, the whole plot to Indy and Willie in short round, uh, he didn't speak English at all. And this is one of the other trivia bits that Spielberg told the story about. And, and when you watch the scene, I can never unsee it now. So I'm probably ruining this for some people, but the actor didn't speak English. He, uh, however, he could very, very closely speak anything phonetically. So if you say something to him in English, he doesn't have to be like mispronouncing it. He will repeat it. So Spielberg is reading the lines to this guy and it's all done in one shot. He's reading the lines to the guy and the guy is just repeating after him. But what Spielberg was doing, which he didn't realize the actor was going to do, is Spielberg was kind of miming so he knew when to emphasize certain things. So the part though, where he's like, you know, like darkness over the land and, and the guy brings his hand across his face. That's because Spielberg is literally on the other side of the camera trying to mime darkness. <laughs> and this guy is imitating his every movement. Spielberg liked it so much. He kept in the movie, but when you wow. watch it, you can see these long pauses where you're like, Oh, and that's Spielberg reading the line. And that's, and they said it was really tricky to edit around that because they use like the onset dialogue too. But like this guy, the, a, a great character despite the fact he only has two scenes too can i just um really quickly yeah, sorry just the the one the one bit that i think the most racist part of this whole movie is, is when they're going down the river and then um willie's like where are we and harrison Ford's just like india he just sees like a <laughs> subcontinent looking man standing there it could be sri lanka yeah. they could be in pakistan they could be well, in bangladesh this film is sri lanka uh that, that's one of the when i mentioned the the racism of this movie uh, the plot was always about India. Actually, the movie was really supposed to start the Great Wall of China. We were going to have a chase sequence of the Great Wall of China. There's only one shot you see the Great Wall of China as they like fly over. But when they developed the plot uh, as taking place in India and they had the cults and everything, they tried to film this there. And Frank Marshall, the producer, uh, or it was one of the other producers, uh, basically spent weeks uh, trying to negotiate with the Indian government. And they kept making these changes. And they basically got to the point where they said, we're not even going to, we're going to say that like the movie starts in India, but this cult is operating on like some type of, you know, it's not part of India. And then eventually they said, well, you can't use the name Maharaja. Mm -hmm. And then they basically said, forget it. Let's film in Sri Lanka. So they did this because they, they would have to change too many things. But the, the actor who appears later on, who plays like the prime minister here, um he's the the business like guy they meet when they first get at the palace he kind of defends this and says like you know in india they're very protective of not being portrayed negatively and if there's anything like say what you want about willie being a damsel in distress or annoying or whatever but she's fun mm. short round maybe some slight you know uh stereotypes but he's fun there's nothing fun about the indian characters of this movie so yeah. I, I actually kind of agree with if they were going to say, well, don't do this. Not that I feel like it should take away from the enjoyment of the movie, but if you're the government allowing people, like I, I could imagine there being an uproar. If you, there are uproars when you film even American movies in America and they're like yeah. making depiction. And it's, and it's, I mean, we saw it with the poo. Like, I mean, but it's, it's, yeah. it's, I think, yeah. And you've still got that very, and again, it's the thirties. So this was still the case, but you're still very much betraying the, Oh, look at this lavish lifestyle the British give the Indians while they're all just in caves eating bugs and 
monkey brains. Yeah, like, savages. It's very much like, hey, we're the British. We're, we're so much good. He doesn't even, doesn't even one of them say like, we're here to defend our empire. Hey, fucking good luck with that, guys. hundred years <laughs> later, that's, that's paid out well for you, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, the, is, uh, this description, though, of the cult and everything, this is where they started working on the story with Lawrence Kasdan, the, the writer of Empire and Jedi and even Raiders, uh, who would come back to the Star Wars movies and work on Solo and even The Force Awakens. But he left before they actually wrote Temple of Doom because he said... The story was so dark. And this is where you realize like Spielberg and Lucas literally had no idea how dark they were making this movie because Lawrence Kaz is like, I will not write this script. He's like, this is just, it's negative. I don't like it. I don't like the tone of the movie. I don't like anything about it. So he kind of walked off the movie. But it's kind of this idea about bringing the cult in, which I I looked it up, this thuggy cult. It's very different. You read up like it's, it's sort of the same, but the thuggy cult literally just seemed to be like a gang you know, an 1800s gang, but they were something that's like considered extinct. However, around the same period of time, this movie takes place. They're, they're like these sections that would pop up. But again, they operated more like a mob or a gang than they did like this, you know, uh, evil cult that was trying to take over the world. But they were a real thing. Um, so, I mean, th- there's some history in this. I, I feel like this movie probably has, it's the least educational of any of the indie movies. But again, that's kind of the point because this is the fortune and glory Indiana Jones. Like he even gives... The backstory here where he's talking about, oh, the stones or whatever. Yes, I've seen similar things like this. But then he sells it to Short Round and he's like, fortune and glory. Um, Jamie objected to why they're not eating elephant. As soon as she saw their ride in the elephant, she's like, these people aren't that starving. They could eat elephant. And I'm like, well, then how are they going to get to the palace? And she's like, well, they can walk. <laughs> Which is true because the true. kid walks back, starve. The child walks back. Yeah, so, eat the elephant. Uh, but I guess India loves elephants, right? They're, they're very into elephants. So, oh, yeah. It, Maybe, yeah, I guess it is a sacred thing. I, I should have used that argument on her. She wouldn't have had any defense for that. Um, but uh, there's, there's two scenes here. So when they're on the elephant ride and um, uh, Willie falls into the the puddle. So this was supposed to be the scene that had a snake appearance. There was one of many snake appearances in this movie. Uh, this was supposed to be she falls in the water and a snake crawls all over her. And when they were getting close to filming the scene, they told Kate Capshaw, okay, we're going to do the snake scene tomorrow. And she's like, um, I read the script. I don't remember a snake in there, which she just said, I obviously didn't read it closely enough where it's like a snake crawls all over. And she was terrified. Like she was so terrified that like they're getting ready to film and she was literally in tears. And this is how you know, like, okay, one day these two are going to be happily married because Spielberg against his better judgment says, fine, you seem very upset. I'm going to cut the snake out of the movie. Hmm. And he gives into her, which is how we would just get the scene of her splashing in a puddle and losing, I'm losing my voice or whatever. Uh, but they cut it from here. But he basically told her, you have to do the bug scene uh, 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 if you're not doing this. And then she had the same response. She's like, there's bugs in this movie too? Like, she really didn't read the script. She's me. But then the second... Doesn't read you. anything. <laughs> <laughs> but then when they do the campfire scene here, uh, the snake appearance here was supposed to be artificial because they did this in the studio. So this part she was like i'm gonna have a fake snake around me and she felt so bad that spielberg cut this i guess she felt so thankful that spielberg had cut the other scene that she said i'll let you use a real snake here so we get the real snake even though she refused the real snake in the earlier scene uh, but she this saw scene, spielberg it, snake mm-hmm. she was waiting for the real deal <laughs> yeah. i want that fableman snake please Ooh. but uh this is the scene that uh, was improvised and it was improvised in the screen test. And you can see the screen test. You can probably see it on YouTube even, but uh, definitely on the DVDs or Blu-rays, the Kihu Kwan screen test with Harrison Ford. 
it was this card game. Spielberg just said, you guys are going to be playing cards. I want you guys to kind of improvise something, like, you know, improvise an argument or something. And it's it's almost word for word the way it was in the screen test, which Kiyu Kwan's coming up with this stuff on the spot. He goes, you cheat, Dr. Jones. He's like, play with you, no fun. <laughs> I love that. This is Kiyu Kwan. And we, we defended a lot of Ahmed Best, like the criticism against Ahmed Best or Jar Jar being a racial stereotype because we're like, Ahmed Best himself came up with that voice. He came up with the walk. These weren't things where George Lucas said, I want you to do like this racial stereotype. All my best just did it. And he's like, okay, well, you're already, you know, going to be the performer. So let's do the voice as well. This is Kihu Kwan. So, I mean, if you're going to criticize like, oh, play with you, no fun. Like he was doing this. It was his scene. It was improvised, uh, but it's brilliant. I think this is the funniest scene in the entire movie. And it's partly funny because you have all this chaos happening in the background and they're not even paying attention as Willie's like, got a bat by the wings and she's it's in her face ah, and the bat screaming back at her and then they're just like no no I, I, it was a mistake and then when he finds the card in short rounds sleeve or whatever <laughs> uh this is it's just amazing watching these two together and you can tell like harrison ford even in interviews before kiyu kwan became a thing again like on the blu-rays the interviews with harrison ford like there's just a smile on his face where he talks about harrison ford doesn't smile for anybody not even his wife but when he's talking about working with kiyu kwan he's like Oh, he was just a joy to work with. Like you can tell how much everybody loved Kihu Kwan. Um, this this scene's amazing. Uh, this is where she identifies that it's her grandfather, by the way, not her lover. <laughs> the magic tricks or whatever. I'm a Tasmanian. Uh, there's no difference. It really isn't. That's your excuse. Um, yeah, I guess that's uh, th- that's about as far as we got here. Um, did I have anything else? Oh, I guess we're going to get to the palace in a second, so I'll save that for when we get to the palace. The one thing I wanted to quickly add, just slightly off topic, but on topic, is um, we're obviously not going to have time to do the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. I mm. vaguely remember watching them with my sister as a kid. Could I tell you anything that happened to them? No. But I did watch a YouTube video recently where they were basically saying, the forgotten part of young Indiana Jones Chronicles that you don't remember and that Harrison Ford made an appearance in it. Yeah. I just, so I'm rewatching all of those. Uh, I'm ranking them all. And uh, I just watched that one, which was uh, one of the last ones they made. Cause all of, when it was a TV series, the version that's available now is they the edited them together as movies. Yeah. yeah that's one I remember which, watching as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what they, when it was airing it as a TV, the first two seasons, when it aired as a TV series, each episode would open and close with a new, a 90 year old actor <laughs> who was I playing saw the clips, which looked terrible. Yeah. Rocking chair. Like, Oh, let me tell you a story. About, an but patch. there was, yeah, exactly. But th- there was one where it was, it was actually a two hour TV movie they did. Uh, which was like involving Al Capone and the mafia, but it was Harris. It starts out with an action sequence. So Harrison Ford is appearing as Indiana Jones in an action sequence. And then it's him telling the story slightly like 50 ish or whatever. Uh, but th- the way that one ends is great too, because at that point they didn't, they never thought they'd make a fourth Indiana Jones and like they give him a final action scene moment. And then you hear the Indiana Jones theme play and it just plays out like Harrison Ford, Probably figures this is his last time he's ever going to wear the hat. Which, fun fact, I learned about that scene. Uh, they were filming that, I think, in Montana, not far from where Harrison Ford was living. He basically said, I will do it, but you've got me for a day. And the reason he has the beard is because he was filming The Fugitive at the time and he had grown oh, really? the beard for The Fugitive. So wow. there's a fun fact I learned about that for you, Colin. You're I wonder welcome. about that because... 
He never, we never picture Indy with a beard. <laughs> no, that's that's why I had it because he was filming cool. the fugitive at the time. Cool. Yeah, exactly. So I reckon we can. I mean, we're we're, we're literally uh, nearly oh, thirty five minutes into the movie, so yeah, I guess it's a quarter. But I reckon we can get through a whole bunch here. So yeah. they're riding through the fields, and we come across, I guess, a, a shrine here. So there's like what human teeth and ears and noses and blood and everything here. So this is kind of going into this level of a human sacrifice for this right now one thing i wanted to to clear up i when they said like oh i'm going to delhi and they're like no you've got to go to, is it pangkok because i kept thinking pangkot pangkot sorry i kept thinking yeah. they're saying bangkok and i'm like going huh you know, yeah thailand as a kid as a kid i thought the same thing yeah but obviously and now we I, again i don't know my indian geography that well i don't know if pangkot is a, a real thing or they've made this up or uh you know uh i think it's fictional okay. um i'm actually googling it right now yeah because if when you search pangkot uh pro, even pangkot province it's only in indiana jones yeah and the bats there's a lot of bat references in this is that meant to signify something batman fetish for spielberg and lucas <laughs> in the 80s like uh, were they pitching their idea to direct and tim burton stole it from them um why are there so many bat references in this movie beats me um it was something gross and scary that they hadn't shown on screen yet do you have bats in canada uh, yeah, I mean, I remember when we lived on the farm, uh, there were some bats you'd see, but I mean, it's, it's nothing you really see in the city. It's fat. Like I remember as a kid, you'd go camping certain parts in Tassie, you would see them. But the, the real fascinating thing to me here in Sydney is even like at my apartment, if I'm just like on the balcony at night looking, you see these things flying around at night and they're, they're fruit bats. So and like, you just see them. And then even, uh, I think it was Australia day earlier this year, I was down at Circular Quay, where like the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge is watching the fireworks. It's just these bats like flying above you, and I'm just thinking like, really, Sydney had such a bat problem. Like <laughs> we should be the Gotham City of In Australia. City. Yeah, like it was like smack bang, like Opera House, Harbour Bridge, bats. Uh, yeah, so- like I. I'm looking on here and it's basically showing like, oh yeah, bats are pretty common in Manitoba, but it's all like, you know, out in the woods or wherever you might find. I like I've bats. literally never seen one outside when we lived on the farm. Like some people are scared by it. Like, I oh, know bats are cool. Bats are like yeah. cool animals and, you know, guano, bat poo bowls. It reminds me of Ace Ventura. <laughs> Um, Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura's weakness is bats. Indies is snakes. It's like bats. <laughs> Um, so now we're in the palace, so, uh, maybe this is the most racist stuff of the movie. So, uh, which again, mm. this might be where I need you to clear the gaps in. So this is meant to be the Pankot like palace. And this is where they're trying to get information about this temple. Is that what so it they, is? They, they believe the tribe people believe that the Pankot palace has suddenly become very powerful. And it happened around the same time that these stones were taken. Right. And then I guess the kid that comes back. Uh, I don't know whether they even identified the movie would have obviously said I came from Pankot Palace. And so essentially all these hoity-toity rich white British people are involved. Is that what they're also implying? No. Uh, well, no, because I mean, the one British uh, general or whatever you see or, or captain, I don't remember what he is. Uh, he's there to save India at the end. I think the only person who's actually involved is 
the the sophisticated Indian prime minister guy. Right. Okay. The, the little... But even then, he's brainwashed, right? Yeah. They, they kind of give you the excuse of saying they're all brainwashed. So we get this whole elaborate sequence in this palace where you've got the the dancing Indian girls and you've got these big... This is the bit everyone remembers from this movie, isn't it? The banquet. Like, even mm-hmm. I remember this. And, and, like, even to this day, this still grosses me out. I don't know how you feel. But, like, it is a bit like, oh, like, you know. Does bother you, Colin? No, not really. No, yeah, this is just what Jamie cooks every night. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, so this sort of big banquet scene, which is where they're, I guess, explaining, like Indy's sort of saying, like, oh, I've heard stories about this. And they're like, oh, village village tales. Oh, those, those rabid tribes people. Us British are sophisticated. We know everything. Now eat your monkey brain. Um, and we've got the, the little kid prime minister who's just like, oh, bored. <laughs> Um, and I love how Indy's all like, oh, have I offended you? Um, and through all of this, it's sort of, what do we get? We get snake with little snakes inside. Why isn't Indy scared of this? I don't understand this. Or are these He's eels? never looking. He's so, I think it's, I think it's supposed to be eels inside of a snake, which is weird. I got attacked but, uh, by an eel once. Have I ever told that story? Did you get attacked? I got Did attacked fight back? by eel. Yeah, I punched it in its throat. No, we, uh, <laughs> I punched we had, it in the face. We had, um... This little outside of Hobart, this thing called Salmon Ponds. It's just like, go oh, on, look at fish in a pond. whoop de doo It's a tourist attraction, apparently. And they had, like, a petting part where you could pet eels because, sure, Hobart. Who doesn't want to pet an eel? Exactly. I like to pet my eel every night before I go to sleep, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, and so, like, I'm, like, petting an eel. And one jumped up and bit me. <laughs> Fucking little shit. Uh, you got your money back. I, I didn't. I would have in this day and age back then. I was just like, suck it up, princess. Um... <laughs> Anyway, random story of the week for Ben. Uh, but you've got snake with eels slash snakes inside of it. You've got the bugs. Uh, I love the, oh, can't we just have something normal like soup? And then, of course, <laughs> it's got eyeballs in it. And then you've got these scarab beetles, which are sucking the juice out of it, which i got to say one thing. Fuck, they serve food quick in this palace. They've barely yeah. had time to eat their monkey brains before this is coming out and everything along those lines. <laughs> um... But, yeah, so we're sort of learning a little bit more about everything with that. But then we've got this great... I love this sequence. This I, I don't. This isn't James Bond because we know James Bond isn't having a... a back, this, this is Star Wars. This is Han Solo and Leia very much so here where kind of you've got Willy and Indy kind of just like back and forth thing here uh, in the room and they're just like, oh, I, I'm the, you know, the best you'll ever have. And it's sort of like, oh, well, I'm this and I'll talk to you in the morning. In the morning, and then they end up having a fight. He storms up, you'll be back in five minutes. I'll be asleep in five minutes. <laughs> Slam the door, and then Indy's in his room looking at the clock. I love how, like, Willie's, like, looking at the clock, and they're just like, oh, oh, oh. Like, it's just so much fun. Very 1930s. Yeah. it's But it's, like, the chemistry between them, like, it's just so good. And then, meanwhile, while poor old Willie's waiting. Willie's waiting. That sounds wrong. Uh, Indy's getting attacked. Indian Willie kind of just sounds like, Euphemisms for penises. <laughs> um, I'm going to put my indie in your willy. Put the, put uh, the willy into the indie. <laughs> uh, indie's getting attacked. Meanwhile, Short Round doesn't wake up at all when this guy's attacking him um, <laughs> until he eventually does. And uh, through all of this, uh, poor old Willie's all like, you've made the worst mistake ever, Indiana Jones, because she hasn't had him show up to get fucked. What a shame. Colin, uh, James, this is Jamie and Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie's on bed, like, doing her hair and, like, 
getting a bit of cleavage out. Oh, he's going to come up, come up, come. Two hours later, he walks downstairs and you're, she walks downstairs and you're asleep on the couch watching like Mission Impossible or something like that. Um, <laughs> well, that's, that's what she's doing right now and I'm still down here recording with you. She's watching Mission Impossible? Oh, no, no. She's, she's out. This is going to be the, the, the night that I, you let me slip through your fingers. And I'm, <laughs> so then this next scene where they're eating the bugs. Uh, she, she's eating bugs. It's an aphrodisiac in Winnipeg. <laughs> um, so Indy obviously now like, oh, shit, they're after us. So then he rushes into the room and she's like, I'm right here. And he's just like looking under the bed, looking in corners, trying to think there's another guy involved. And then he discovers that there's a, an egg entry to this tomb because he sees like the flowers are blowing. And he, I love how he puts his hands on like the, the that's what you do, Colin. That's try that with and Jamie. And then you have, you have Willie going, hey, I'm right here grabbing her own. <laughs> <laughs> like, does this not give you like a bit of Star Wars vibes? Like it just, oh like, yeah. Like it's just, it's very layer and, and Han Empire Strikes Back. It's just so much fun. Um, so then he goes into this tomb, short round shows up and it's, it's a bit Raiders in a way where it's kind of like they're, you know, walking on the floor and it's basically like, oh, this floor's moving or something like that. And it's like, oh, not moving. You see all the bugs, creeps. I mean, like I'm, I'm anti-spiders, giant bugs. You know, I don't exactly want them crawling all over me, but again, in Australia, like you just brush five of them off, but like, it's still a bit creepy. Again, did this bother you? Nothing bothers you. I mean, I would say the bugs are the ones that probably bother me the most. I think that's just because there's so many different kinds. If, if you know what you're looking at, it's not, it doesn't be how many snakes I'm going to see, how many bats, even if it was just spiders. But I think it's the fact that it's like, oh, and there's another one. Or that one looks weird. And, oh, and what is this one going to do? Is that one going to bite me? Do you have any animals that freak you out? Um... No, not really. Uh, Call I mean, the brave. Uh, but even like, but even like the, the the eating scene. I think the reason that doesn't bother me is because I, I was just like a challenge, right? Like, so if, if when I watch Fear Factor or even Survivor, it's like, oh, is there anything that you wouldn't eat? It's like, oh, I think there was one time where there was like, I don't know, a bull's testicles, where I would have been like, ah, uh, might take a pass on that, but it might do it just to say I did. I look. I'm kind of with you. Like, it does gross me out. But, like, yeah, I always like to... You think of the story later. You can think about, like, in five years. I mean, I ate monkey brain. Like, it's just kind of... Yeah. It's one of those things. Whereas, I like your survivor. I'm 100% the same. Like, I don't think I would be fussed by the... Gro- the only one that ever I was much like, oh, no, I couldn't do that was a tarantula. And I don't think I could eat a tarantula. I think I'd be like, no, nah, mm. nah, I'm out of the you tarantula. You know what? And I wonder if we'll get this in Dial of Destiny because what else is left? Leeches might be one where I'm like, oh, look at those leeches because I'm like, oh, how much, how painful is it to take them off of you? So, yeah, leeches might be one where I'd be like, ooh, a little bit. That's why we got rid of Ben Powell and Heather. (laughs) This is two weeks in a row row they've gotten mentioned on the air. Ah, (laughs) They didn't even get mentioned on the air when they were Oslets. They've been mentioned about 10 years. I don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Probably still sitting in their dark lit rooms criticizing people on the internet (laughs) because they don't have a life. But uh, anyway, um, we get them crawling on the floor. Well, the, the bugs. And I do love how um, Willie's trying to like work a way to get in, and she's like trying to feel her way down the woman. She's like, "Oh, fine, I'll take a bit of lesbianism in this movie," which you, you know, why not? Although she's, uh, don't you love though that she does that, and then she's like, "Ew!" <laughs> <laughs> Literally, Colin. Um, <laughs> I also, I, I do like the bit where Indy's kind of like the short round, like just walk with me and don't touch anything, and then he presses like something, and like a dead body comes running out. He's like, "Okay, Indy, I walk with you and not touch anything." Um, but they end up getting stuck in a room where there's giant spiders. It's the trash compactor scene. And I kind of mm-hmm. thought at one point there's a zombie happening here because all of a sudden you see a skeleton lifting up and you realize it's yeah. a spike. I'm like, oh, there's zombies in this movie? Um, which, I, 
people want to talk about the logic of like a plane like falling down and crashing. This room is like closed in on them eight times. Every time like you see them about to be crushed, they cut back to it. It's about eight meters shorter than it was before. So, but I do love when Willie's coming through the <laughs> the thing here. So he's like, "Help us! Help us! We're about to die!" He's like, "Ah, there's a dead body! There'll be two more dead bodies in here if you're not careful." Um, and then because it's kind of like she's got the bugs and then she's trying to like reach her hand into the bit where there's bugs crawling and everything. It's so funny. Uh, but she eventually presses the thing, stops them from being crushed, but then she presses it again and it's locked in the room. And this is where we get the hat. So they go through yeah. the door to escape. And this is where Indy will grab the hat and basically say, I just want to call bullshit here on the fact that they shouldn't die in this because those spikes have big enough gaps in between them that they could actually, like... His head fits. You see his head in between them. Like, I'm sorry, skeletons who are dead in this but, tomb. Like, you are already like, dead. You you dumb for dying. Are, are, are their shoulders going to get impaled? You know, is it going to go into their heart? Maybe. But, like, does the whole... I mean, whole, the head at the very least. I guess the whole, like, thing probably would crush them at least. So, um... Yeah, I guess it's going to keep them. Anyway. Uh, so they get out of here. They get the hat. da 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 and then they get to the overview where they're seeing a human sacrifice. So here are the evil tribes people who've got the stone. We see the stone in the skull of a demon thing. And this is where, again, aliens are not okay. But in Indiana Jones, it's fine to rip a person's heart out, <laughs> hold it up and go, ha, 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 I've got your heart. Then lower him into the depths of hell while his body burns. Colin's loving it. <laughs> and as evil dudes holding the heart, it also catches fire. That's completely fine. Let's ignore the fact that that is not completely plausible in the slightest. But oh no, aliens. That's where Indiana Jones jumps the shark. I'm telling you now, as a believer, thank you, Fox Mulder, there is more chance of there being aliens in this universe than me having my heart ripped out, my body lowered into fire, and my heart catching fire in the hands of Colin as he relishes taking over the Oz network completely. <laughs> that is never happening. Aliens could happen. Do you believe me? Is that is that a Ben fact? That's not a Ben fact, but like that's a Ben. Well, whatever. We're gonna get to King of the Crystal Skull that they're not technically aliens. Um, but but I, I'm with you. I, I get the the plausibility. I guess. I, I will try that again. And that's a Ben fact. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get the right level on the soundboard. Um. Okay, question of dumbness here. Why do they sacrifice? What What are they doing? Are they just showing that hey, we're evil people, we're good, or is, like, is there any logic behind them doing this? Yeah, I don't know because obviously they're enslaving children. They want as many people trying to find these stones as possible. So, do they sacrifice the people who just aren't productive? Oh, you were you know uh, six uh, barrels full of rocks behind on your quota from these kids. <laughs> so you know what, you're off the team. We're gonna sacrifice you. Yeah. So we also we see all the stones are in the skull as well. This guy's dead. Do you like the guy burning to death without a heart? Oh, it's amazing. That's the best part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> wonderful. Which can I just point out is Indiana Jones kind of dumb here because it's sort of like they all bugger off. And he's all like, well, I'm just going to go get the stones now. Like, I mean, like, and he doesn't even like William that say like, really? Like, you're stupid or whatever? Like, shouldn't they like wait, like go to sleep and make sure they're all asleep? Like, they're literally just around the yeah. corner. Or sneak around. Like, he basically walks right out in the most well-lit area, grabs them, and then tips his hat yeah. to a giant snake statue. And, 
And then the guy literally just peers running. The, the guy who pops up, he's like, don't you think you should have at least looked down? Is anybody down there? No. Okay. Now I can take the stones. Yeah. And then next minute he's in handcuffs and they're in a freaking cage. So it's just sort of like, okay. Um, so this is basically, I might sort of go here. Like obviously I'm covering a fair bit here, but I think basically we'll just go to Indiana Jones gets brainwashed and tortured with a voodoo doll. Um, <laughs> Cause I mean, this is the thing that I don't know if there's a whole lot of plot really here to discover. He's trying no. to get some stones and he's being captured. So again, please come back to anything that I've glaringly gelled over. Literally, Indiana Jones is captured, he's brainwashed, and the the prince guy is like stabbing him with a freaking voodoo doll. Which don't we all wish we had voodoo dolls? Like that. But don't you love that they they found a leather jacket and hat fedora yeah. for this voodoo doll? They've really gone to town. They're like, no, <laughs> I want this voodoo doll to be accurate. All right. Um. They also chain up little uh, short round here as well. Uh, there's, oh, they make him drink blood out of a skull, which, you know, sure. Uh, it's very, again, very Star Wars, very Return of the Jedi when he's kind of like, like it's almost like when he's, um, you know, gets shoved into the cell with Chewie. I can't see. Like he's got his arm, yeah. like, arms up. And like, I also do love the fact that like this <laughs> child labor is terrible. I think all of these kids should be getting their hearts ripped out because they're literally just going, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Bang it on a thing to its short round, then all of a sudden, eh, eh, eh. then he starts banging at his fucking like uh you know chain. Uh, so then we're gonna sacrifice poor old Big Willie style here. Why don't they take her heart out? Um, because then he'd be feeling up her boob. Uh, like I just I and don't. You're definitely not getting away with that with a without an R rating. I'm saying right now, sexist evil man with horns. Yeah. He ripped a man's heart out, but a woman's no. Yep. Yep. Sexist. No one talks about the sexism in this movie on that level. Uh, shirtless Indy, he's all brainwashed, so he's all, like, controlling uh, her getting burnt down. Um, she's going down there, then Short Round comes up. He punches Short Round because already punched a woman. Why not punch a child in this movie, <laughs> Indiana Jones? Uh, but eventually he gets him to snap out of it because, you know, plot's got a plot. Uh, we save old Willie. Uh, we save old Willie. <laughs> That doesn't, Old Willie style. <laughs> that doesn't sound appropriate. Um, and I feel like, because like, this just basically is all action here. I'll stop before the cart chase because I feel that needs to be uh, where we go. And I, honestly, that is one part I completely forgot existed in the Indiana Jones franchise, a, a cool, like, mine cart chase. But through mm. all this action, so Indy's, like, punching up uh, this uh, guard guy. Meanwhile, the evil prime minister, the Malaysian prime minister, uh, he's like, can I say, ran, ran a thing. I uh, stood within like a meter of the Vanuatu prime minister last night. There's a fun fact for Ooh. you. He was uh, there. To, there was a Vanuatu player in our grand final who he flew down purely to witness. I was going to try and interview the Vanuatu prime minister, but I was too busy trying to get players. I interviewed the Vanuatu player and I said to him, like, are you going to get a national holiday declared tomorrow now that the prime minister has come to visit you? And he's like, absolutely. We're going to get it. Anyway, fun fact. Um, this isn't the Vanuatu Prime Minister. This is Indiana Jones getting the shit beaten out of him by this guy. While why why doesn't this the the young kid Prime Minister who's like stabbing this like he just literally just stabs in the back. Indiana Jones is just like ah, and then he just stops, stabs in the back ah. Like why doesn't he just like keep it in his back and like twist it and like stab him right down? Does he not want to ruin? Why don't you slit the doll open? Yeah, does he want to ruin his cool little? No, I worked eight hours on this Groin, doll. I put a fedora on to sternum him. Exactly. Like I'm sorry, this is on you, kid. The reason why Indiana Jones beat your number one guard here. Um, short round climbing up the water carrier thing. 
Um, I in what what is Willie doing in this scene? She doesn't she hit one guard or something? <laughs> yeah, it's well. She oh, she's pretending to it. fight. She's standing down. There. Yeah, she does like yeah, pearl, pearl. But I mean, she does get a little bit of action in here. She punches somebody, doesn't she? Yeah, she hits somebody with like a board or, or something. But like this is again the argument of oh well, you know, Marion was like a power female character. Willie isn't. Marion knocked out like one guy and shot one guy. I mean, she's she's got one more physical act of violence against a villain than Willie has. And if you actually look at it, Marion gets captured in the end. Yeah. Willie doesn't. So and, yeah, and if if anything. Marion doesn't learn. She starts off yeah. strong, then gets kidnapped. She gets weakened where you're right. Like Willie gets strengthened because she mm-hmm. starts off as this like poultry, like trophy wife type. Which, I broke a nail. Yeah. Which, oh yeah. Like I hate it when they break a nail scene. But actually, we should, I love that bit earlier on when she's like in the palace and she's all like, oh, the Maharaja, <laughs> how's, how's his uh, wife? Oh, he's, he's not married, ma'am. Okay. And then it's like, it's a kid. Wouldn't have stopped Indies. <laughs> Um, That's the Maharaja. <laughs> but uh, so we get this cool... It's very uh, uh, licensed to kill. Uh, tomorrow Never Dies. Somebody gets killed in a printing press. A giant uh, crush. This is uh, old honeymoon. Benicio Del Toro getting crushed on his legs. Switch the bloody thing off! Um, but again, another gross sequence of a guy getting crushed to death here as he goes down underneath the uh, switch. Uh, I love the red paint once again on the uh, steamroller <laughs> because, you know, he's got a bit of eye. Don't you love that this is like, Willie is about 50 feet lower than this. And when the blood comes up, she she winces and turns away. It's like, there is no possible way you could see any of that. <laughs> and I also got to love the fact that, again, similar to the, the roof caving in, Indy's hat is literally getting like touched by the steamroller. <laughs> but then as soon as like uh, a short round starts punching the freaking Maharaja and stop the pain. He's all of a sudden like 10 meters away from the damn thing. Um, so I love this bit where they basically, uh, what does he, what does he yell at uh, short round? Quit fooling around with that kid. Quit fooling around with the kid. And get down here. <laughs> that sounded very familiar to me. Um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden the Maharaja here is uh, not brainwashed anymore. Cause he's like, take the left entrance and you will be fine. Um, and then they're going to jump on the uh, the little carts. But I'll, I'll cap it here. That's literally I've covered an hour of the movie in about <laughs> 10 minutes. Yeah, so I love when they arrive at the palace. This is where they get introduced to the... Uh, the, the you keep calling the the, the, the Maharaja the prime minister. Uh, but, Whatever. Uh, the, the actual prime minister, the, the Indian guy who's dressed up in like the suit and everything. Uh, this guy was in Gandhi a year earlier. He didn't get an Oscar nomination. He got like a BAFTA nomination. And just like the 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 guy who played the the evil Nazi with a burnt hand, the glasses one, this guy retired from acting like two years before this movie and then suddenly got a call to be in Gandhi and he's in Gandhi and then he gets called to be in Indiana Jones and then he's got this long career after that. But uh, um, yeah, this guy is like, I guess he's supposed to be in between. So one thing this movie really misses uh, is that whole idea about the British rule. And, and, and this isn't me saying, was a modern day person the same way that we're, we're criticizing people. Oh, well, you know, you really should have, you know, uh, gone a little bit deeper into the British's rule of India and everything. But they, they do make that a, a slight point in this movie, which I'm going to talk about coming up, something they, they sort of planted a seed for and then never let it grow. Uh, but that's what this guy's supposed to be. You've, you've got, you know, the Indian Maharaja there. You've got the, the British commanding officer. And then you've got this prime minister who's like halfway in between. He's like, is he British? Is he Indian? I don't really know. Uh, but they don't really go anywhere with this. Uh, this movie is very difficult to actually label a villain because our actual mm. villain doesn't get introduced until that. an hour into this movie. 
Whereas if you made this prime minister guy the villain, why, why not just combine the roles? Mm. Have this guy reappear later on. I mean, he does. I don't think this actor has the same villainous presence that the guy who plays Molaram does, but I think it would have made more sense. Uh, but when they get introduced to him and they come in and Indy's like, this is Mrs. Scott. This is Mr. Round. And then short, <laughs> short round. <laughs> That's great. Uh, here we get maybe, uh, I, I don't know, I'm going to call this a bit of a plot hole, but it's a plot hole they go on their way to mention. Right before the dinner scene, you hear Indy just yelling when there's an exterior shot of the palace and the sun's going on. Short round, where's my razor? And the next time we see him, he's got like a week's worth of beard growth where it wasn't there six hours earlier. But you look at the chronological events of this movie, he's clean shaven at the beginning. A whole night passes sleeping on an airplane. A whole day passes in India. Another night passes. Another day and night passes before they get to the palace. So we're at about like three days with no beard growth, and then it just sprouts up in six hours. <laughs> Very stressful. The humidity. It, it's the humidity that makes it grow. Yeah. <laughs> that moisture. Yep. Uh, then it's there for the rest of the movie. They obviously wanted to go for a look, and I don't know why they didn't maybe steadily have it grow over time, but they, they felt the need to be like, oh, I guess he's got a little bit more beard there. Let's have him call him for his razor six hours later. Uh, I love short round being chased by all the dancing women. Because yeah. they're just like, they're, they're, <laughs> they got Colin. these giants... Yeah, this, well, it's funny because this would totally be me. Like, uh, uh, they're, they're like, da 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 and he's, ah, ah, on every corner. He basically turns into damsel in distress. He turns into Willie here. Um, yeah, yeah Willie, the, the gold digger or whatever, which, are we going to be critical of Willie being a gold digger in this movie? Oh, that's a, that's a negative stereotype. Indy is a gold digger. <laughs> he's out for fortune and glory in this movie. He's trading human remains for a diamond. True. So don't be critical of Willie if you're not going to be critical of every other character in this movie. It's kind of the point of the movie. Um, yeah, the dinner scene's interesting because you're getting a lot of exposition with Indy's character. And, and and this is where I think Harrison Ford's at his best. This is the closest we get to the Raiders of Lost Ark or Last Crusade, Indiana Jones, is where he's having like these political conversations with the British soldier and then the, the prime minister. And then the Maharaja comes in there and he's like, oh, if I've offended you, I'm sorry. But he's so into this conversation, the intellectual indie with his glasses on and everything that he's not even paying attention to the snakes all over the table and bugs and monkey brains and all that. Um, Spielberg kind of admitted that like this scene was his idea and it was partly he wanted to put humor into as many parts. I mean, this is sort of like George Lucas's mandate. If you're going to do a dark movie like Empire. You got to put comedy wherever you can. And Spielberg's like, I'm going to take it a step further. And every time where I feel like we're getting a little bit too scary or dark, I'm going to put something like really goofy in there. But like this goofy. is goofy. Hi, I'm goofy. <laughs> but uh, th- you're just short of having when Willie sees the eyeballs come out of the soup and she actually passes out. You're just short of her eyes going cross. And when she hits the floor, him the cuckoo, cuckoo. Like that's how cartoony this sequence is. I can't be the only person who ever watched this movie and didn't think that the guy who keeps describing everything on the meal uh, to Willie was James Earl Jones. Because this guy <laughs> looks like Indian James Earl Jones. Uh, if you look at it, I, 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 it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, I was watching this and looking for James Earl Jones, if he had an uncredited role. And I'm like, it actually wasn't him. But like, this guy is his Indian doppelganger, uh, uh, James Earl Jones. Um, but uh, I mean, it's still a fun scene, you know, and is it a little bit too over the top? Is it a little bit too stereotypical? Oh, this is like the, the savage stuff that they eat. Maybe, but it's, it's done like it's tongue in cheek. It's done to be a little bit cartoony and goofy, you know? Uh, but the best part about this is where the prime minister is getting a little bit testy as Indy's, you know, talking about testies. the cult and all that. 
testy. Well, that's where we're going with this because he's saying, wasn't it the whoever that uh, threatened to cut off your head? He goes, no, it wasn't my head. He goes, your hands then? No, it wasn't my hands. And he folds his hands together. It was my, and he looks down at his groin. He goes, it was a misunderstanding. Oh, yeah, yeah, But he's like, I forgot about, I wrote that down and I forgot to talk about that because I love it. It's kind of like they say it about three times. Like, they wanted to chop your head off. Uh, no. No. It was, uh, your hands. Something uh, else. No, it was uh, something else. Yeah, yeah. I completely <laughs> forgot. That, that's Bondian. I love that. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the banter back and forth, like the Hansel Princess Leia scene, like you mentioned, that's great. And this plays out like a 1930s movie that you'd have like, Oh, Carrie Grant and Catherine Hepburn in or something, or they're just like, Darling, uh, you'll be back in five minutes. You'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's it's the scene where Indy goes back and he's like, he's scheming. He's like, I'm conceited. And then she's like, oh, he's stuck up. When that guy comes out of the painting, like what a great visual. A henchman is literally blended in with a painting in the wall and then he slowly emerges but this is the fight scene where Harrison Ford injured his back and had to have surgery. And it's actually the shot where he's being choked and he flips the guy over top of him. Mm. Uh, that's where his back got messed up. Uh. Uh, but I love the way he whip, whips the guy and then he gets strangled through the ceiling fan. Like again, physically impossible. I think the mummy even du- the mummy did duplicate this. I think uh, you saw like the silhouette and all that, uh, but uh, it's implausible, but whatever. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, the bug scene. I mean, this is, probably the most famous scene of the entire movie. And this was uh, where Spielberg uh, told Kate Capshaw she didn't have to do the first snake scene. So you have to do the bug. She says, there's a bug scene. Uh, her story about filming this scene is hilarious. I mean, because she's very, in real life, she's very much like Willie. She's a very entertaining, very animated woman. But she, woman. Um, well, woman. Uh, but she she describes it that like, she's like, I know that I would never have made it through that bug scene unless I was on something. She says, but I have to be careful what I took because I didn't want to come across like that lady's clearly on drugs on camera. So she basically took a tranquilizer slash relaxer, right? <laughs> uh, and she showed up on set and the way she describes it is like she's literally in a dream world and Spielberg is like, all right, so just want to put you at ease. These are the bugs over here. And she's like, okay. And it's like, and we're going to be dumping them all over your head. All right. Yeah, that's... uh. <laughs> That's going to work. And then it's like, okay. And then they're going to crawl all over you. She's like, sounds great. (laughs) And then as soon as they start filming, the panic sets in. So she says, when she's screaming and the bugs are all over, get them off me, get off. She says, literally no acting going on. It was just like, suddenly she was so relaxed. And then suddenly out of nowhere, it just hit her and she just panicked. So we're watching her actually react to these bugs uh, in reality. Um, uh, Short round in him in the little, you know, uh, cave with the spikes coming down uh not only do we have the first moment where short rounds like i step where you step i touch nothing the second time where it gets set off because you're holding the stand against the wall and he goes not my fault you're the one who told me to stand against the wall yeah <laughs> and he repeats himself over again it's not my fault it's not my fault um i i love this scene though because again it's something you'd only really see in like some cheesy old 30s movie serial you know like the and that's why george lucas put in star wars like the walls caving in this case the ceiling the spikes like this doesn't exist in reality anywhere. It's just a cliche you've seen a million times before, but this scene is done so well. I mean, this is the whole sequence of the movie where I feel like before they get into the temple, it's all going right. And then when they get in the temple, that's when it starts to be a little bit, and eh, maybe you're pushing the envelope too much here, but this is perfect. I mean, this is exactly like what you want out of an Indiana Jones sequel. Uh, and even Harrison Ford's delivery where it's like, there's gonna be two dead people in there. And then right as seeing his face crushed, 
and she's reaching in the this like you're right no you're other right and he's like we are going to die <laughs> like, screaming that was harrison ford where his back was thrown out apparently uh <laughs> that's not even acting there he didn't, she didn't act he didn't act uh but you know it's funny because we mentioned last week where it's like oh yeah and then he grabs the hat as the door's about to close we're like no no wait it's a whip you just remember it a different way but this is meant to be a throwback to the that whip scene from the first movie. Isn't there one and in the third movie as well when he grabs something? There is, yeah. yeah. And then the fourth, I mean, they do it in every single movie. Now, we'll guaranteed see in Dial of Destiny. It's but, the, come with me if you want to live. I have a bad feeling about this. Yeah. yeah. But then you, you got to wonder, this actually, we, we pointed out last week, it started with a whip in Raiders. Like, at what point did they say, no, we're going to make it the hat instead of the whip? Like, would we have been watching a whip scene like this in every single Indiana Jones movie, not a hat, you know, would the hat have become as much of a staple of Indiana Jones if they didn't say right here, let's do the whip, but we'll do it with a hat this time. And then it's just been the hat ever since. It's just one of those small things. It's like, oh, this took on a life of its own. It was never intended to be this this reoccurring gag. And then Alan Grant would have been grabbing a whip in the Jurassic Park movies instead. He'd been wearing a whip. Oh, he should have. <laughs> so that was my mom's fantasy, Alan Grant and the whip. <laughs> My fantasy as well, let's be honest. <laughs> Everyone's fantasy. Jamie, Jamie's mine, all of us. If you don't have a fantasy uh, of Alan Grant and a whip, who are you? Alan. Alan. <laughs> whip me, Alan. That's whip. what the raptor Catherine was saying. Hepburn. Whip me. Whip me, Alan. Alan, whip me. <laughs> Life finds a way. Ha ha, whip me. Uh, but you got to give it up to this set. This main set of the Temple of Doom, like the overhead shot as they're looking on and that 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 orange glow that you get like it looks spectacular um it, it might be my favorite like you know full set we get in any i mean i would put this over the well of souls the well of souls is kind of like outside of the snakes it's just a boring hole in the ground i mean this is like this massive set you've got like the, the giant skull thing with the the stones on the inside the stones glowing uh this is sort of where the movie goes a bit wrong though because a you've introduced a villain here with no explanation of who he is Indy starts calling him Molaram, uh, where he never could have learned his name from anybody. So it's like, how, was there a deleted scene? We didn't know. This guy, this actor, though, I mean, he's described as basically to this day still being, if you ask anybody in India who is the most famous, you know, villain in Indian movie history, it's this guy. Like this, this guy is the one who always plays the bad guy. He's you know what Gary Oldman was once upon a time. You know. Any 90s movie, your bad guy is going to be Gary Oldman or John Travolta. That's who this guy plays, Molaram, the the, the bald, uh, the, the thuggy cult leader here is. But we get no explanation about him. And in a way, I kind of like that, but it's just I wish we had maybe a little bit more of the other villains. This could have been like the um, uh, the 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 glasses guy in Raiders where we still would have that prime minister as Belloc because – I don't know anything about this guy. Is he even the guy in charge? We don't know. He's the guy yeah. leading the ritual. But when Indy beats him at the end, does that do anything? Does, does the cult end? I don't know. Um, we do get our first uh, uh, brown face here. <laughs> so we mentioned the guy who was one of the Nepalese sidekicks and also played the um, the the guy, the fight scene, the big buff guy in the fight scene. Yeah. He's the main slave I driver. thought he was. Like, I thought yeah. that's what you, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah. Yeah, he's the guy who's whipping kids in this movie and having a fun time doing it. He's really into not this. acting. Yeah, definitely not acting. Uh, they mentioned like the two missing stones in the mine, which we never get. But I love the scene where they have Indy kidnapped or I guess you know bound up here before they feed him that black blood. Which this is what's supposed to hypnotize the people, I guess, is they drink this and that's some type of black magic. Uh, but the way that when they they come up to Indy with it and he just looks at him and he goes, 
hi <laughs> that's my favorite most indie like line ever he's just laughing and he's hi and then they make him drink this but i think this is where the movie jumps to shark a little bit because i mentioned the reason that raiders works is that even though you have that supernatural element it's never explained what you're seeing and it only comes in last 10 minutes of the movie and last crusade is the same thing it's only the last 10 minutes of the movie where anything supernatural happens I'm going to argue Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It's not until the last 10 minutes of the movie where anything supernatural happens. Here, you have them saying earlier on, these stones have magic powers. And then you watched a man get his heart ripped out of his chest and we're only an hour into the movie. And then immediately after that, you see Indiana Jones getting hypnotized by some blood that he's drinking, where it's got him hitting kids and sacrificing Willie. And then you have, you know, everything else here. How do they have a lava pit in the middle of this place that they somehow contain? Like the magic and everything is supernatural. It's just if you had made this more like the others where it was left a little bit to your imagination and then you maybe see something at the end, although I still have problems with the way it's used at the end. That's where this becomes, oh, this is different from the other movies. This is where I think this sticks out like a sore thumb, even compared to something like King of the Crystal Skull. And again, maybe that was, I think the last crusade just being so similar to Raiders is what sort of has made it like this. And they never, they always kind of wanted this. But to me, I kind of prefer it where it's like, oh, we don't have any answers to the end. Because really in the end, they show so much of the magic in this movie. And it's like, okay, so how does this exist? We never get an explanation. But I think that's why it bothers me that there's so much magic in this movie. Because there's never any explanation. How is, Indy's not even questioning. How is this real? Because even Indy in the first movie, he's like, oh, if you believe in that sort of thing. We don't have that. He should be like, I, I, I was just hypnotized. I just punched short round in the face. You know, I almost killed Willie here. I would have gone to jail for life. What just happened to me? Can somebody explain what happened? Did, did anybody witness this? Um, this is where Harrison Ford, we both sort of mentioned it. His acting's not so great <laughs> in these scenes here where he's like, we will do it all for our great God, Kali. <laughs> you will be sacrificed for the, the greater good. Uh, there is the one mention here about um, this being a world domination plot. When we have all five stones, you know, we'll be able to take over everything in the world. Uh, but there's a brief mention about this being this cult being fueled by their hatred of the British, which Jamie's upset with somebody upstairs. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the British. But, <laughs> it's British. The British. Yeah. Oh. But uh, can we really look at this cult as being the bad guys, though, when their only motive is... The British came over and colonized us and tried yeah, to force the their British. Ways on us. They colonized us here in Australia. They colonized you in Canada. Stop colonizing yeah. people, bad Britain. Yeah, like they're trying to beat the, the 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 culture out of these Indian people, and this cult is the only thing keeping it alive. I don't care if they're ripping hearts out of their chest. They're doing this because they disagree with people who are taking over their their way of life. But they're not necessarily the bad guys. You're 100% right. And then I put the argument that Indy's a bad guy because he's an American and he just wants to take everything because yeah. that's what Americans do. So, I mean, if this was fucking James Bond, he'd be like, you're right. Fuck the We're shit. Like, let's and, fucking stop the British. And let's not forget, I mean, he definitely intended from the beginning to return one of these stones, but he takes one three of them. of them here. Yeah, he takes three. He intends to keep the other two. Uh I, I don't know, just the thing even with, with fire breaks this, right? Fire breaks the curse of this spell, which Short Round uses on the kid as well. So wouldn't it be a little bit dangerous to have so much fire surrounding you in this temple and a giant <laughs> pit of lava? Like, they're above a pit of lava, just standing above it. They should be like, oh, is that hot? 
wait, where am I? Like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And this breaks the curse. Move to the Arctic or something. Like, get rid of your fire. Get some. They have like we've seen. There's electricity in the palace. Just I don't know. Get a little bit of electrical cable. Get some some lamps in there so you're not risking breaking the spell. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, it gets very dark as you're watching kids being whipped. And again, we both don't mind. Like, sometimes kids we're watching whipped. movies like, well, we, we're often like, oh, of course, the kid has to be the one to survive, you know? Um, but uh, it gets a little bit too much here. Like, it's excessive. And I think it's partly excessive because this it. movie is, well, but, but this movie has presented itself as a kid's movie, you know? Yeah, well, and kids need to watch to be put in their place. They need to. All kids need to be whipped. <laughs> Jimmy, watch this movie and put it in your place. Now eat your dinner and eat your Brussels sprout. <laughs> or I'm going to whip you like the brown face man in Temple of Doom did. Exactly. I'll go put on some brown face and I'll put a yeah. whip in my hand. So you fucking eat your Brussels sprouts. No questions asked. Uh, but uh, I, I love where they're about to sacrifice Willie and... Uh, <laughs> Indy gets his face spit in and then he has this smile come across his face like, ha, 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 I am playing evil mustache really villain. Like, there's points where you could tell Harris Ford's having fun and there's other points where it's like he's definitely not having fun here. Uh, when um, they break all the kids out, we have the fight scene, which this is the fight scene where they had to film for a couple weeks while Harris Ford was having surgery and they actually just did everything they could with his stunt double. By the way, his stunt double, Vic Armstrong, the stunt double for all the Indiana Jones movies, uh, one of the stunt coordinators on the Pierce Brosnan era of the James Bond movies, so he oh. went on to bigger and better things. But why haven't we got we him on the see, show? We get to see a lot of his back in this movie too, and what a back! But, but that's actually why he puts on his vest again. If you wonder why, for the final act of this movie, Indy's still shirtless, but he's wearing a vest—no shirt, but a vest. It's because oh, we got the stunt double now, so he's got to have the vest on. Uh, but I mean, the the fight sequence is incredible. I mean, I love just this massive set where they're like swinging through the air over top of it and everything, and. Short round gets to try off his spin kicks and fight with this kid. Uh, <laughs> fool around with his kid. Sorry. Uh, you, you, we're, we're cutting before the mind chase, uh, right? Yes, just before. Okay. Uh, but right right as all the kids get freed here, I love as they're leaving the temple. That's the main theme of this movie. The, the And it's probably the most... It's it's the forgotten Indiana Jones theme, like da 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 da. da. And mm. to me, it maybe doesn't sound as Indiana Jones like because it sounds something that maybe belongs in Jurassic Park more than Indiana Jones. Uh, but it's it's an incredible theme, and this movie actually got an Oscar nomination, which I wouldn't have thought uh, for original score. Uh, but I love when the kids finally come out of the palace. The two things: one, where they jump up on the dining room table and they start dancing on the dining room table, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when they get out into the sunlight and they're sort of like, "Oh, natural light, natural light." That's me. <laughs> uh, every single morning, yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, it's it's still a fun movie here. It's just where we get these moments where Harrison Ford is fidgeting and like, oh, like he's ready to throw up, and you know ripping people's hearts out their chest and kids getting whipped where it's like, ah, this movie's a little bit too much. Uh, well, speaking of little too much, why don't we go on a cut chase? Um, <laughs> I mean, mine cars. Sure. It's a little too much, but again, I just find it fun. Colin, like sometimes a little too much is fun. Like the Oz network, right? Well, our casual racism and sexism and stuff that doesn't, it's hold always up. fun. Always <laughs> fun. Um, defending the Nazis last week. Um, I, again, I completely forgot this was even the movie, but like they literally have this chase where they're on like my guys. You talk about why do they have pits of fire? Why do this? Why do they have like a closing wall with spikes on it? 
Why do they have like all these underground mine carts? And how do they build yeah. this next to freaking like lava pits? Like, like yeah, okay. Um, but it's still like it's a fun sequence. Like it's just mm-hmm. it's shot very well. Like this movie won best visual effects at the Oscars. But like, I'm assuming like a lot of this was done like practical effects on some level, and then obviously it- they they mix it right. Yeah. So uh, there's two things. One, they basically built as much of a working track for a mine car which ran the entire length of their sound stage and they would basically film a shot and then they would basically just alter the track slightly change the lighting and then do the same shot over again so you're watching the same stretch of track over and over again and then whenever it's like wider shots they actually had miniatures where it's like little dolls with wigs on <laughs> so when you look closely enough sometimes you can see like little doll heads bobbling back and forth but otherwise it's actually like you said it's done really well it um reminds me a bit of world is not enough in the tunnels, like uh, oh yeah, yeah. but uh, there was um, I'm not a ride person, but I think it was when I went to Disneyland many moons ago. They had an Indiana Jones like adventure ride, and I don't, I just don't think we had the time to go on it because I, I was told it wasn't like super scary, but I think it was based on this. Like I think they kind of had like the carts and everything, like it's sort of a one of those type rides. Um, but yeah, like some of the bits I love in this is I kind of. I like it when um, Indy sees, like, in the uh, in the distance, he sees, like, the, the thing of the dirt and he kind of has a bit of a smile on his face when he picks up, like, the plank of wood to cut it and to crush all these people. Uh, when they're dragging old short round over the, like, the, the gap of the fire. Like, it's just, it's just cool. And obviously they don't take the left path, which is what the Maharaja told them to do. So they end mm-hmm. up going on, like, this, like, super long journey. But, like, yeah, it's outlandish. Yeah, it's silly. But, again, it's fun. Like, and I, I don't... I mean, again, I literally watched an Indiana Jones movie with ghosts coming out of a tomb with the Ten Commandments. I literally saw men's face melt. There's an alien. Then next week, doesn't Julian Glover's head turn into a skull? Like, I mean, this is stuff we're witnessing that is outlandish. Like, yeah, this goes a bit over the top with, like, skull, um, lava pits and things. But it's just, I don't know, this is what I expect. Like, it's just kind of part of it, you know? So, like, I'm completely fine with it. Um... And then essentially they get to oh the the Maharaj and all the other people have like broken a giant water thing. So not only are the people of India you know going hungry and all the white people are stealing their food now their water's gone because the white people are stealing the rocks. So like yeah. I, I like your point there. Like what happens when this like evil bald dude dies? Do they keep like getting stones? Like probably. Like, yeah, they, it's not going to be hard. They, I mean, what? I like, we're going to get to this bit in a moment where the evil guys just basically like throw them in the water. We'll find them. It's so like <laughs> he throws them in the water. Sure, Indy takes one of them, but I'm sure they can find them. They live. They live with three before. Indy's only got one, so they were trying to find the other two. So yeah. you know, um, kind of. That's a very solid point. Nothing really changes with Indy taking this stone. So, I would say. I would say even yeah, even more so than I mean, from the point we leave off in this movie. But with Indy taking the stone. Okay, so one guy in this cult is dead. Yeah. Uh, about three more up. that fell, three more guys off the bridge. There are hundreds of people in this cult and they know where they found the stone in the first place. They took it from the village. So they're going to be like, oh, so let's just go back to that village yeah. and let's get it again. <laughs> they built all of this themselves. So like, I'm sure they yeah. can rebuild it. I mean, they rebuilt the Death Star in three years. So yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, they've, they've got, they can hire those people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, essentially, after all this chase, they get to this great sequence. I, I, maybe my favorite bit of the movie is this whole bridge stuff. 
And I love it when they're sort of hanging over the cliff and they're like, ah, water, water, water. I just, I want Harrison Ford to jump and turn around. I didn't kill my wife. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I never connected that until now. You're right. Ready to come out there. <laughs> Cross them over. <laughs> I don't care. Um, I love that. That's, that's up there with, I love you. I know. That's up there with yeah. that, isn't it? Like, I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Solid point, Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> Do you like the movie U.S. Marshals, the sequel? Underrated sequel. Uh, I, I think if it's not anywhere near the level of The Fugitive. True. I think that it, it, it definitely could have been better in some areas, but... I like that it was different. It was it was more to me. It was a spinoff more than a sequel, you know. And I think yeah. it's a spinoff following Tommy Lee Jones and just the other marshals. That that it did work. It, it's one of these things that's aged better. You know, when it first came out, people were like, "Oh, that was pretty terrible." And twenty years later, people were like, "Oh, that actually wasn't too bad." Yeah, I remember like watching it. I, obviously, I watched The Fugitive a lot more, but I remember when that would be on and like Wesley Snipes and isn't like Robert Downey yeah. Jr. Robert Downey in that Jr. movie. Yeah, like I just I don't know. There's just something about the US, US Marshals and I'm like oh this is actually a pretty solid movie but uh, never gets talked about this, you know how like sometimes there are movies where it's like you forget there's a sequel I feel The yeah. Fugitive is one where people never talk oh, about yeah. there's a sequel to The Fugitive so yeah exactly that's like there was a sequel to Air Force 1 it was called Air Force 2 um, <laughs> it's about the vice president get off my vice president Glenn Close <laughs> oh what a woman give her an Oscar um, but I mean you talk about like over the top cartooniness like this is them trying to escape to the other side on a wooden rope bridge, which if they fall into the water below, it has crocodiles in it. <laughs> like, I mean, like, come on. This is like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. So cool, yeah. But it's so funny. But, like, my favorite video is, like, short rounds going, like, no, strong bridge, very strong, very strong. Ah! <laughs> like, falls through the pit. It, this just also reminds you of George of the Jungle when it's kind of like they're on that bridge and he falls off. Don't worry, kids. This is a Disney movie. He just falls off and just has a very big boo-boo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we get these great sequence with it. So you got Willie and Short Round going over the bridge. Indy's going up the other direction, by the way. And then we just like, you know, like you talk about fan service and there's often times in movies where like there's a famous moment in an old movie and then we've got to do it again. Like I was literally thinking before we talk about the trash compactor scene in Star Wars, the fucking Force Awakens when it's like, Oh, is there a trash compactor? I love those. And it's just kind of like, oh my God, like eye roll. Yeah. Like when they go to the city. Like, but this does it perfectly. So Indy comes across two guys with a sword. <laughs> and then he's like, he's like, aha, I've got an idea. He's going to grab his gun. Like he's done this before. And he looks down and he's like, uh oh, no gun. <laughs> and like, you get, you think it's going to go the same direction. Like it's just such a nice little throwback that doesn't like just have to go like eye roll nature of it. You're just like, oh, mm -hmm. I see what they're doing here. This is really funny. And then what gets it even better is he gets into this like fight with them. Then he runs towards the camera and he's like, uh-oh. And again, this is like a new hope when he runs around the corner and sees all the stormtroopers. But this is funnier. This is more slapstick comedy because you don't actually see all these guys with swords. So he runs off and then all of a sudden you got like a hundred men with swords running <laughs> after him. It's so funny. Um, we get this standoff on the bridge where he's sort of surrounded on either side. And then he's all like, I'm going to drop the stones over the edge. And the evil guy again, he's like, yeah, I can do it. We'll just, we got him once before, we'll do it again. Which again, he ends up dropping him in the water anyway. So like, that's yeah. what's going to happen. Um, but he then basically chops the bridge. He ties his feet around in the in the ropes of it. Uh, we get this cool sequence of it falling down, which again, how, I mean, I'm guessing they're not really tying a real bridge over like a, you know, 50 meter drop. 
But like, I'm assuming, was there some practical nature to people hanging on this and running against the rock? Yeah. The, so this is actually one of the most elaborate action scenes that had really ever been done up to that point. Um, the When you see the bridge break, that was the same bridge, but uh, it's rigged with dummies that were actually animatronic dummies. So the second that the bridge fell, these dummies would move their arms and their legs. And unlike the mine car where I look at it now, I'm like, oh, I can kind of see that's like a miniature with, you know, doll's hair. With this, I'm like, that literally just looks like people falling. And then when you actually see the uh, the rope bridge with the climb up the rock face. That's done on uh, like a sound stage or back lot, I think, more than a sound stage. So clever, so clever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're they're climbing up this uh, rope bridge. Uh, Indy and the ball man's having a fight. He's trying to rip his heart out because he's a man. So of course he's going to do that. Um, but like the the one bit that I maybe like go like, how does this happen? Is when Indy starts chanting like this thing and the stones catch fire. Then yeah. it's kind of like okay, that's, that's a bit, you know. That's a bit super natural to the point where I'm like, okay. But I also do love the fact that when these people are falling into the water, getting eaten by the crocodiles, and um, poor old bold man here gets, like, ripped up. Why do the, the men with swords all of a sudden start shooting arrows now? Like, where were they five minutes ago? Um, yeah. And I also do love the fact that, again, just like in the first movie, they just cannot shoot for shit. Like, do not go to the Olympics and represent India in archery, guys, because you would be terrible at it. Um and we've got the other English uh, snooty guy, the general guy, as you said, he sort of shows up to give him a hand. Then uh, Indy shows up. Here's your rock back, guys, and here are the kids. And uh, then they make out. The elephant fills them up. And da 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 But, I mean, it's just, I love the car chase sequence. It's, it's silly, but it's fun. I love the bridge mm-hmm. stuff. It's silly. And it's fun. Like this, there's nothing about this movie to me that's not fun. And again, it just goes by so goddamn quickly. And the beauty of this being a prequel is that you could watch this and never have even heard of Indiana Jones. You could think this is the first Indiana Jones movie. There's no connection yeah. to the first movie at all. And it's not also like one of these things that's like the machete order, watch these and whatever and do this sort of stuff. Because I don't, I mean, again, it's been a long time since I've seen Last Crusade. I could say differently this time in a week. But like, I don't know how much the connections are really there. So it's just kind of like, this is just a completely almost like separate movie that it's just like, kind of like US Marshals, almost like a spin-off. Like here it is. It's just Indiana Jones going on his weekly adventure. It's just fun. Everything about this movie is just fun. I think that um, having rewatched the young Indiana Jones movies recently, uh, it, it definitely makes me accept Temple to do more than when I usually just watch through this entire movie series in order, because this movie is the most different out of all of them. And, I will disagree that there are certain parts. Like I, I think even jokes aside, some of the scenes where they're just whipping the children, it's like, is this really fun? You know, when Harrison it's Ford is, it, when Harrison Ford's, you know, been hypnotized or uh, possessed or whatever. I don't know how fun that is. Uh, you know, another thing about the possession scene, look in that room. He is surrounded by candles. He's kicking candles over. Those candles should be waking him up out of this hypnosis. That is not very, that's very counterproductive. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention right before the minecart chase, uh, when Short Round and Willie and Indy are um, just about to make their escape, Short Round is in the fight with a henchman and he threatens to kill the man. Uh, which, again, it's it's one of these little things where you actually have to say, it's kind of like under his breath, it's like, hey, hey, you, uh, let, let go of them, I'll kill you. It's like, this is a nine. By the way, he's actually supposed to be nine. They, they, Wikipedia right. has a the character's age is nine I years got to be like, whoa, 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 dude. I'm just like trying to like protect. Don't have to threaten me with violence. Threaten death. And again, this guy's probably hypnotized just like Indy. Like how many innocents are there in this movie? We talk about some of the Nazis just being sold at this point, just soldiers 
serving their country. They don't know about Hitler's grand plan or anything. Uh, take over the, the uh, human race or what are we called? The master race. They're just, just guys. These people actually are operating against their will. The prime minister, the Maharaja, everything. Uh, <laughs> none of them are at fault really. I, I guess a few of them probably are uh, in on it. Like I'm going to assume that Moeller, I'm the main villains uh, in on the, this master plan. Uh, but yeah, the minecart chase is fantastic. Uh, physical impossibility though, when they're stretching short round across this, like, that definitely looks like a stretch Armstrong. <laughs> like, the kid was not that tall in the first place. I don't think Indy's that tall. And you know, his arms are like six <laughs> feet long and then his legs another six feet. Uh, and even if it wasn't that, I mean, I don't think a person, a child can survive that. Uh, but there is probably the one joke that I don't think anybody has ever picked up on. And I even forget it there and miss it half the time is when um, I think it's right after he took the the left or the right tunnel instead of the left tunnel or whatever. Uh, Indy said something about a shortcut and you hear short on say, yes, Indy, no shortcut. And it's, it's, it's in the middle of all the action. The music is playing, but it's always supposed to be like shortcut. Yes, Indy. <laughs> he thinks he hears his name, which is actually really funny. If you do catch it, uh, the thing where he, um, uh, gets the sand or whatever that is, George Lucas in his sand, <laughs> it was very coarse. Yeah. But, but like, how does this kill these people or make the mine car flip over? It's sand. It's probably <laughs> Is more it really the, that deadly? I guess it slows them down and it's heavy and it probably just slops them to a point where, like, I don't know, if you put, like, a rock on a train track and it hits the wheel properly, it can cause, like, a... I'm not a fucking physicist. We see that in this, too, though, where one of the things they do is they throw a piece of lumber out of the back onto the, the tracks and it somehow makes the mine car flip off the track and go falling 100 feet below. Colin, Indiana whereas, Jones again, is about, just slowed them down. He's about to chant Indian words that turn rocks <laughs> into fire, and this is a part that we're concerned about. Well, but but it's it's the minecart's flipping over when Indy's actually stopping this thing with his shoes. <laughs> you know, you're like, how are these other ones just flipping into their death? Uh, but it is fun, though, when he's breaking it, uh, like as in using his feet for brakes, and all of a sudden his feet are burning. He's like, water, water, and yeah. then the water starts going, That's oh, funny. water, water, <laughs> the two uses of the water. Um, it, they, the escape here that they have uh, where they're being flooded and everything like that's a, actually a very tense moment where they're coming out of that, that tunnel or whatever. And there's giant pieces of supporting beams that are just what inches away from Willie and short rounds face. And they're going one way. Indy's going another way. That's one of those like height things, which by the way, heights. So the bridge thing, Steven Spielberg's one fear is height. So that's his version of snakes. And he would go, I don't know, a couple of feet out on this bridge. And it was the same thing with the camera operator. He would not go far out on this bridge. And there's a behind the behind the scenes uh, footage of this when they're filming this. And George Lucas is basically doing the short round. George Lucas is out on the bridge, literally jumping up and down going, look, Steven, it's actually strong wood, strong wood. <laughs> George Lucas is kind of like, hey, hey look at me. Uh, and Spielberg's like, not going to do it. No, I'm not coming out. Uh, but they basically had to do this where they would film He'd go out and he'd film, I don't know, like, you know, 20, 30 feet out on the bridge. And when they had to film from the other side, Steven Spielberg would get a car and he'd drive 20 minutes around this canyon to get to the other side, as opposed to walking across this bridge, which was apparently the world's safest bridge that was ever constructed. And meanwhile, when they first started filming on it and they're like, oh, don't George Lucas is sitting there jumping up and down. Look, Harrison Strongwood. Harrison Ford's like, yeah, let me see what it feels like when I run across it. And they actually have footage of Harrison Ford in one take running a full sprint across this rope bridge, which, I mean, I'm not afraid of heights or, you know, I, I don't have issues with balance or anything, but even I'm looking at the same, like, 
And I'd probably stop at some point and be like, I think I'm going to slow down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm do a nice you know, gingerly walk here. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, it's probably the best visual of the entire movie outside of like the, the, the set of the actual temple of doom, like this rope bridge, it just looks incredible. So anything you do on here is fantastic. And I love Indy's plan though, where he's going to like wrap his legs around this and short round's going to wrap their legs and he's speaking them into a Mandarin or whatever. Uh, but you do have to wonder when he cuts this thing, one rope breaks, the other rope doesn't break. Like he doesn't cut both ropes. So when he cuts one, why does the other one snap? And how does Indy know where that other one's going to snap? Like, it's, is it tension? Yeah, well, it's, it's it tension. Could, you, you break it one could have snapped. Yeah, but it could have snapped in the part where he tied his leg to it. Like, that's my thing. If you're going to cut this, cut Again, them both at the same time. Again, he burns rocks with Indian <laughs> words and <laughs> kills a matter, guy. Yeah. Like, I think this is fine. Yeah. But, but I mean, like, this climax, I think, would, would go down. It is probably the only Indiana Jones. In fact, I, I guarantee this is the Indi- only Indiana Jones, at least up until this point that has action at the climax because Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's them opening up a box and you get the ghost, but it's not like there's action going on. And then uh, Last Crusade, it's mostly talking and then you know some rocks start to fall from the ceiling. Uh, King of the Crystal Skull, it's basically the same as Last Crusade. They get inside of a temple and it starts to fall apart. But this is like full on action. You got arrows, you got gunshots, you got people hanging from bridges, bridges collapsing, people falling from bridges, uh, crocodiles. Like this is almost more James Bond-like, you know, obviously the setting would be different, but it's very James Bond-like as opposed to Indiana Jones. Another one of the things where they kind of broke the formula and they just never went back to this afterwards. But again, watching the young Indiana Jones series, which more so embrace that every week's going to be a different genre. You'll have one, which is a straight war story, you know? Uh, I just watched one this past week, which was... um, uh, you know, the Battle of the Somme, which was like the bloodiest battle of World War One. They did like two episodes were dedicated to that. And then all of a sudden you have an episode, which is a love story where he's on leave. And then you after that, a couple weeks after that, you have one where there's vampires. You know, uh, and they're in Transylvania. Like they embrace that more. So I think it's easier to watch this movie having watched the young Indiana Jones, which I think did it more successfully because they just they, they they didn't cheap out on. Oh, one time it didn't work. But like every single week, let's just try something different. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I kind of lose it here where he's doing that chanting because how does Indy know this? Like we'd never really get scholar Indy. Like what you said about you could be dropped into this movie and not know anything about Raiders. Raiders at least developed his character where you knew this guy's a scholar. All we've really even heard him say about these stones is he's he said to Sherrill, I think they're talking about the lost Sankara stones. And then when he's describing, oh, yeah, there's lines across the center. Okay, I've seen something like that before. But we never get the impression that he speaks the language, that he knows the magic. Is this an after effect of his, you know, hypnotism that he was under or uh, his possession that he now knows how to chant this? It's one thing like in the Indiana Jones movies, even in Raiders and Last Crusade and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, another defense of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull a couple weeks out, is that when the supernatural stuff happens... You don't have an explanation of how it happens. I think it, the fact that Indy is doing magic himself is just one of those other moments where it's like, yeah, a little bit too far here. Uh, I don't think I need Indy actually doing a magic spell. And what does this accomplish? Mm. One bad guy is dead. The rest of them are back in the palace. So your Maharaja is no longer hypnotized. But he's a kid. So all his other people who are surrounding him are just going to say, pin the kid down and say, drink this again. <laughs> They're getting the two stones they lost. They're going to the village where the first one was found. So when people complain about Raiders, he didn't accomplish anything. I made several arguments for that last week. Marion would be dead. 
No, because I said also it would have been loaded on the plane, potentially, which would have meant it goes straight to Hitler. Uh, maybe that kills Hitler, and that's how it changes. Who knows? Or if Indy's not there after everybody else dies, somebody else stumbles across this, including more Nazis or something. But in this movie, sure, there's closure in this movie, but there's not because five minutes later, they're just repeating everything they did. And they're probably even more ahead than they were before now. <laughs> you know, uh, I do question that when they come back to the village, how long it took because he says, we knew when life returned to our village that you were coming back with the stone. Did you see their crops? <laughs> they're like four or five feet high at this point. Like, did it take some like nine weeks to come back? The kids are in puberty by then. They got facial hair. Yeah, exactly. This isn't even the old man anymore. This is his grandson. <laughs> oh, my grandfather told me that you would come back one day. Uh, I do love the corny ending, though, with like Willie and him. Uh, it's like, you think that if I'm uh, going to go anywhere with you after I've almost been burned alive, seen people's hearts ripped out, you got another thing. And just call him Buster. You got another thing coming, Buster. And then he's whips her. <laughs> like, I'm here, going baby. to Missouri or something like that. I'm going back <laughs> Missouri, to Missouri. Yeah. I love, though, with a short round where he's like, aha, very funny. <laughs> with that very funny thing. And then there's a part where he's like closing his eyes as Indy and Willie are kissing. Uh, <laughs> the little kid moment here. Um, there is another thing in the credits. I don't even know who caught it. We probably talked about this in Star Wars, but David Fincher, one of those famous directors working today, David Fincher was like a mat artist on Return of the Jedi. Um, he has a screen credit here. Uh, I can't remember what it was he did in this, but it, it was something to do with the visual effects. Best boy. But, um, best best boy david fincher uh what does yeah, you a actually, best boy do i want to look this up because is that i think gaffer is something electrical uh but best boy i just always love movie. it when you say best boy That's a bit oh sexist. everybody knows that it's a senior electrician of the film crew so the senior what? electrician is called the best boy how does that even like relate to electricity but- the gaffer is ahead of them. So they are the senior electrician, but the gaffer is the chief electrician. Well, I know gaffer, like in soccer terminology, is a slang term for a coach. So uh, that makes but sense. But why is, the, why is the electrical part of a movie set the only ones who get like these fancy names? Like everything Best else boy. is like, yeah, set designer, uh, carpenter. But then when you get the electricians, no, no, we're going to have fancy names. I'm going to be the best boy. You're going to be the gaffer. I always just love reading the the credits and just the, some of the things that they put on there. I'm like, I'm thinking like, I surely I can be in a credit somewhere in life. Like, I mean, it's just like assistant <laughs> to the assistant to the assistant to the assistant to assistant to Mr. Jones or Mr. Ford. Um, I don't know. Like it's, yeah. Mr. Gaffer. Best boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am going to the closing bits. I know that's what I do at this point. Um, so I was reading my notes. I saw Missouri and I've got a different page open up here because I'm trying to see that currently at the time of recording this now, I think the uh, percentage of uh, Rotten Tomatoes for Dial of Destiny has dropped even more now. It's at 50%. Aww. So, um, yeah, not looking good. But again, I haven't seen any of the reviews. I'm just reading this off Wikipedia because Temple of Doom is still the second lowest now, 76%. Only 1% behind Crystal Skull. Uh, where, that's not bad. Whereas Dial of Destiny, yeah, 50% right now at the time of recording. So what will it be next week? Probably like 12%. Um, but on release, it did receive mixed reviews. But over the years, the film's reception has shifted to a more positive tone. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of 76%, saying it may be too dark for some, but Indiana Jones The Temple of Doom remains an ingenious adventure spectacle that showcases one of Hollywood's finest filmmaking teams in vintage form. Uh, Roger Ebert 
gave it a perfect four-star rating, saying the most cheerfully exciting, bizarre, goofy, romantic adventure movie since Raiders, and it's high praise to say that it's not so much a sequel as an equal. It's quite an experience. I agree with that. Um, Vincent Camby said the film was too shapeless to be fun that Raiders is, but shape may be beside the point. Old-time 15-part movie serials didn't have shape. They just went on and on and on, which is what Temple of Doom does with humor and technical innovation. That's good. Uh, I like that one. I think it should also be mentioned that um, it's pretty rare for filmmakers to criticize their own movies, but uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg themselves have have been less than complimentary towards this. Not to the point where they're like, oh, it was a terrible movie, but... I remember even back when it came out on VHS, uh, one of the VHS releases in like the late 90s, they had like these making ups prior it. And they both were saying it's like, it's definitely my least favorite of the indie movies. But part of that was just the experience of making it wasn't as pleasant for them. Uh, but uh, even the more recent ones, they've said, yeah, I think that we definitely missed the mark on some things. But there's also other things that they're very proud of with this movie. And I think the more if you listen to Lucas and Spielberg, you get the impression that this is what they wanted to do more with the Indiana Jones series. And it was the negative reaction that kind of scared them off of that, which is what we're going to get more of in Last Crusade was a response to that negative reaction. Yeah, well, I'm seeing here, Spielberg said in 1989, I wasn't happy with Temple of Doom at all. It was too dark, too subterranean and much too horrific. I thought it outpolted poltergeist. There's not an ounce of my own personal feeling in Temple of Doom. He later added during uh, another documentary, Temple of Doom is my least favorite of the trilogy. I look back, I say... Well, the greatest thing that I got out of it was that I met Kate Capshaw. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, I mean, like, I get it. You can look back on things and go, you know, well, that was my least favorite, least favorite, whatever, that sort of stuff. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's, you're still not, like, does he like it better than Lincoln? Like, I, like, I yeah. mean, uh, most people should like things better than Lincoln. I'm still falling asleep in that movie. <laughs> Um, nominated for two Oscars, uh, Best Original Score and Best Visual Effects. It won Best Visual Effects, but it lost Best Original Score. Uh, what did it lose to, I hear you ask, Colin Hilding? I do ask that. And the answer to that one, of course, would be that it lost out to the movie that was A (laughs) Passage to India. Oh, that's actually a good movie. I don't remember any of the score in it, though. Uh, also nominated that year was The Natural, The River, and Under the Volcano. Are they all just like spin-offs of uh, Temple of Doom, A Passage <laughs> to India, The Natural, River. The River, and Under the Volcano? In terms wow. of visual effects, um, it beat out 2010 and Ghostbusters. I was going to ask if that was just the year where they did honorary awards still, but those are two other movies that are very well known for their effects. No, I mean, Return of the Jedi. So is that what? 1983, that was un, like it just won by itself and Empire Strikes Back just won by itself. Like they, yeah, because they, they just gave an honorary Oscar to it. Well, I think what it is, is they, they had like a short list and then they picked one for the award ceremony. A short so this round? Was, was a short round list. So the, would this then have been the first year where there was an actual category with nominations included on the award show. Uh, well, according to this um, visual effects, like oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark beat Dragon Slayer, E.T. beat oh. Blade Runner and Poltergeist. Um, so it probably depended on the year and how many movies you could nominate. There's like literally, you look at some years, there's definitely only one. Others, there's three. Like Star yeah, I'm Wars. I've seen a lot beat, of years here with two. <laughs> yeah, Star Wars beat Close Encounter. I mean, Alien, 79, beat 1941, The Black Hole, Moonraker, and Star Trek, The Motion Picture. Seriously, yeah, Moonraker got nominated? 
1976 seems to be where you consistently got nominees, but then in 78, Superman the movie is the only one. <laughs> Can I just point out, Babe won Best Visual Effects and beat yeah. Apollo 13. <laughs> what? And Batman Forever, that, I don't even think Batman Forever got nominated that year. No, what a year, 1994, can't wait for next year, our Jim Carrey anniversary month, but Forrest Gump yeah. beat The Mask and True Lies. Um, so, oh, incredible. Even 1999, The Matrix beat Phantom Menace and Stuart Little. Uh, Not even The Mummy was nominated? Stuart Little, really? Did, they love talking animals at the Oscars. I love how What Dreams May Come, that forgotten Robin Williams movie, <laughs> beat Armageddon and Mighty Joe Young. Uh, <laughs> when are we doing Mighty Bill, Joe Young? Bill Paxton? Oh, Bill Paxton. Isn't there a famous woman in that as well? Charlize Theron. Is it? Yeah, okay, there you go. Oh, I love though that this, I, I had to tell Jamie the story, but like everybody always asks Keanu Reeves about, you know, the movies he made with Sandra Bullock, but they ignore the fact he's made just as many movies with Charlize Theron. Keanu Reeves basically had an interview where he was talking about, I was like, yeah, you know, Sandra Bullock and I, we're very good friends. He's like, but he's like, but even when I watch movies with me and Charlize Theron, I'm like, man, that looks like two, that looks like a couple there that likes to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, 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 I'm getting hot just watching us. <laughs> wow, wow. Have you ever watched much of the Between Two Ferns? Uh, like, no, interviews? I've only seen some YouTube clips. I just, I get into a rabbit hole and I watch a bunch. I watched the Keanu Reeves one recently. It's just so funny the way he's just basically like, oh, you know, do you like it when people pretend to like your movies or something like that? And just basically, Keanu is like, well, I'm pretending to be here and liking this or something. <laughs> like that. Oh, it's funny. Um, I love on Wikipedia, you got the controversy section here about the depiction of culture, but you got here in his autobiography, Amrish Puri expressed the whole controversy around the film was silly. He wrote that it's based on an ancient cult that existed in India and was recreated like a fantasy. If you recall those imaginary places like Pankot Palace, starting with Shanghai, where the plane breaks down and the passengers use a raft to jump over it, slide down a hill and reach India. Can that ever happen? But fantasies are fantasies. <laughs> uh, so fair enough. Um... Box office, so uh, this earned $179,870,271 domestically. Apparently no figures for uh, international back in the day. Uh, according to Box Office Mojo, this was the only movie released on May 25th to 27th, but then I guess it switches into Memorial Day weekend where they add an extra day to that. So they gave this $25 million on its three-day weekend which is the only movie that opened. But then for the four-day Memorial Day weekend, uh, it got $33 million. Easily the number one movie that weekend. Um, it was the only one that opened. But also that weekend at the cinemas, if you wanted to go, uh, back then in uh, 1984, May 25th to May 28th, Colin would have been, what, like three? I would have been minus three. Um, you could have seen The Natural, Breakin', Romance in the Stone, big big weekend for like uh, adventure movies. Romance yeah. in the Stone, Sixteen Candles, Police Academy, Firestarter, Splash, Footloose, Kevin Bacon. There he is, Grace Stroke, Grace Stoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, um, and this is Spinal Tap was also on that weekend. Um, for the year though, this ended up being the second highest grossing film of 1984, uh, Ghostbusters, the number one film, ahead of uh, Indiana Jones was in Gremlins and three. Karate Kid, Police Academy, Footloose, Beverly Hills Cop, Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock, Turns of Endearment, Romancing the Stone, Purple Rain also out that year, Revenge of the Nerds, Red Dawn, The Terminator, uh, Sudden Impact, uh, Conan the Destroyer, Cannibal Run 2, 
lot of uh, lot of big ones out uh, in that year. The Never Ending Story, Never Ending Story, um, and I think this is uh, in terms of the Indiana Jones franchise. Is this number? It's the lowest grossing. The lowest. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it, there's very little difference between them. Like, I mean, King of the Crystal Skull because it came out decades later. Obviously, it was the highest grossing, but like. Raiders 212 million, then you have Last Crusade 197 million, and then you have Temple of Doom 179 million. So they they all basically made the same amount of money. Do you think that Dial of Destiny is gonna, you know, like I mean, we live in a world where freaking uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie is getting like one half billion. So and well, I don't know if you've seen the weekend recording this across the Spider-Verse is the third highest opening Spider-Man film of all time. This thing, well. this thing's made more than most Tobey Maguire and uh, Andrew, even the Tom Holland movies, uh, it's going to be breaking records. So it, it seems unpredictable because I don't think anybody was talking about across the Spider Verse is going to open over a hundred million dollars. Mm. Uh, but I, I, it may end up going the opposite. I mean, the Flash is going to have at least two weeks out by the time Dial of Destiny comes out. Is Dial of Destiny something that people are even going to be that excited about? But I think it also gets a long weekend, doesn't it? Or is it just prior to a long weekend? Oh, I'm not too sure. Um, I mean, it's not. It was- too early for July 4 is an extra... But I think oh, the, the Americans give themselves 4. an extra day. So, yeah, it will have a long weekend. Well, good for America. Um, I guess... Uh, what do we do for reviews? I mean, do we do 10-star because this year... Yeah, this is, a, this is a tough one. I think we have to do both a 1 and a 10-star because it's it's kind of that one where people... I'll look at 10, under... you look at 1. So, uh, on sure. 10, I just... I mean, this one's obviously going to be a long one, but I love the, the title is Anything Goes by Curiosity Killed Sean... Uh, this is a great movie by J. May Cock. Sure he will. Uh, I can't understand how this movie is rated so low. This is an absolutely fantastic movie. The best in the trilogy. Of course, everybody always rates the first movie in the trilogy the best, like Godfather 1 and Star Wars, the original 1977 movie. But clearly, the films that followed them were better, as is the case with this one. I saw the film about 20 times as a kid and have recently watched all three movies again, enjoying this one the best. It has some great action sequences in it, notably the roller coaster ride through the mine, some great laughs and romance. What more could a movie offer? Um, it Another one here. If classic has a name, it's Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom is my favorite in the series. This is a good movie. You people need to get over yourselves. Uh, yeah. Anyway, what do the bad ones say? Uh, I like this. This one is most upset about just, I guess, the eating scene. Uh, wow, the blatant racism is disgusting. The stereotyping around Indians, Hindus, and Makali is lowest of the lows. Add to that the misrepresentation of food habits of India just to get a few laughs. India is a country which is more than 50% vegetarian, and the non-vegetarians eat meat of chicken, fish, mutton, or in an extreme beef. To misrepresent and betray the people as India's insect and reptile eaters is vile. and shows the mentality of the esteemed director. Do we know that these are the facts from like 1935? Like, and especially like starving parts in 1935? Like, oh, a lot of judgment there. Uh, and yeah, almost all the bad reviews here seem to be saying it's offensive. Um, holy crap movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the type the worst Spielberg movie that I have ever seen. And I did not expect this type of crap movie from Lucas. Small Chinese boy whose leg didn't even touch the men at the end and the men were falling due to impact a floating water rafting boat that was used as a parachute. Come on, you two, we're expecting to give some good stuff. An intelligent professor taking a drink from a guy who is after his life, and really the icing on the cake was to be delivered by the heart-sucking villain. Uh 
Hot sucking? He doesn't suck. Heart sucking. He just gets the lips right up the. <laughs> um, I do love the fact that IMDb have changed their layout of plot keywords now. Now you can uh, sort yeah. them via relevance or alphabetical order. I'm just kidding. We can mark them if they're helpful or not helpful. I don't know if you got to log in or not. Number one is white savior. Uh, so we could always do White Savior Month. I'm here, though, for Boy Elephant Relationship That's Month. first one I was looking at. You you read that one, and I'll read White Savior Month. All right, so Boy boy Elephant Relationship. We got Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Swiss Family Robinson, Water for Elephants, and Operation Dumbo Drop. Oh, I like that movie as a kid. Operation that Dumbo Drop. decent. That's got Dougie Doug in it. Oh, not Dougie Doug. One of the, <laughs> it's got one of the, um, the, the cool runnings. One of the, the other it. cool runnings. Yeah. Uh, White Savior Month, June... Avatar, The Help, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. No, we're up there. Not doing it. Sorry. I, I'm for, for anybody who says Dune is a white savior month, um, I'm pretty sure that even the people who are saving are white in that movie. So <laughs> you don't really have a choice. Uh, we could do um, Eating Monkey Brains Month, Indiana Jones <laughs> and the Temple of Doom, Clue, Cannibal Holocaust, and Faces of Death. Uh there's Beard Month, Bearded Man Month, Mustache Month, Mustache Man Month, Reference to Kali, the Hindu Deity oh, Month. What have we got? Temple of Doom, the Golden Voyage of Sinbad, the Ghoul, and the Goddess. Okay. Uh, oh, Human Elephant Relation. Male Wears a Baseball Cap Month. Here we go. Shannon <laughs> uh, Jones of the Temple of Doom is number one. <gasps> Deliver Us from Evil, The Five Bloods, <laughs> and Hannah Mazuki. Yep. Uh, everything else here is like racial stereotyping. Child drives a car month. Actually, I want to look at child drives a car month because nothing's funny. I had better see Dante's Peak in here. Yes. Uh, fast, fast X. There's a kid driving a car in Fast X. Oh, come on. Of course. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Temple of yeah. Doom, and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Come on. Where is it? Uh, I'm going down here. Last Action Hero, 10. Um, Romance of the Stones on here. Come on. Where's Dante's Peak? God. Well, I'm going to go to the very bottom. 25. The- the least helpful of all of the plot keywords. Maybe this is a new thing. We can do the first one, the last one, and find the ones that will surprise ending. Uh, <laughs> so we could do that with The Little Mermaid, the new one, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Was there a surprise ending in that? John Wick Chapter 4 and Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Three. Why aren't we doing Little Mermaid, Colin? Why aren't we going off to see that? I just love the surprise ending is less helpful than Mustache Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Famous Score. Uh, cremated remains month. Um, I'm buying this movie. Uh, it's I, I enjoy it, and I'm sorry to say I'm doing it. I'm putting this above Raiders. Wow. This is fun. This is so, and I don't dislike Raiders. Like I love Raiders, but like if I just want to put on something, like this is just so much. Like, it doesn't stop. This whole movie is just fun, and it's just enjoyable. And I just I don't know. There's just something about this, and maybe this is the reason why as a kid I remember watching this the most. Um, so yeah, I'm it's a very slightly above Raiders. It's not like a big gap. And that's probably the most controversial thing I'll say in this month. I don't know. Maybe I'll hate Last Crusade. I can't remember it. But like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm putting this ahead and it's a buy for me. I mean, I said last week, I'm going to buy all four of these. Um, I'm not putting it above Raiders. I don't think yeah, it's anywhere close. You to. Yeah, but I still love this movie. And there's never a time where I watch Raiders and don't immediately watch uh, Temple of Doom afterwards. Like to me, this series, I watch it. And I won't always even get to King of the Crystal Skull. I mean, sometimes I just want to watch the original trilogy and I still love, I love King of the Crystal Skull for the same reasons I love Temple of Doom. But uh, this is 
it's the one Indiana Jones movie you could check your brain off. Because even King of Crystal Skull, it is very complex at times and it is very brainy at times. This is the one, even Indiana Jones doesn't bother philosophizing this movie or showing off his intellect or describing anything. It's just like evil stones, men ripping hearts out of their chest, bad man, let's stop him. Like that's <laughs> all it is. And to, to me, it, I, I'm not faulting you for this, but it's like, a, you know, you, you're a fan of Die Another Day, but I sort of compared this as the Indiana Jones version of You Only Live Twice. And you know, as much as I think You Only Live Twice is a weak James Bond movie, I still would take a weak James Bond movie over, you know, uh, the best Bourne movie. And I still yeah. like the Bourne series. So to me, there's a place for a dumb brainless adventure like this. I would take Moonraker over the majority of movies, you know, uh, a third of the Star Wars movies I would take and Moonraker over. So People always compare the, the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies to Raiders of the Lost Ark. But to me, they have more in common with Temple of Doom than anything mm. else. Yeah, I mean, God, I love those. Still need to see the third one, though. I keep saying that. Um, but... Yeah, Brandon Fraser, what a man. Um, so next week, we have The Last Crusade. Now, again, I just, I think I was in high school or something like that, and they would ask, what's your favorite Indiana Jones movie? And I was always like, oh, The Last Crusade. And again, I actually think this is the one I've seen the least out of all three of them, because I can barely remember anything about it. I know Sean Connery's in it. I know I've interviewed the main villain in it, but I can't remember him being in it. Um, so, yeah, like, I remember the least about it. The train, I definitely remember the train, but I think that's mainly because of the video game that I used to play all the time. Um, but yeah, I'm actually excited to watch it because I don't actually think we have done a Sean Connery movie on this podcast outside of anything James Bond related. Correct me yeah, if I'm we did wrong. Zardoz and Entrapment for the uh, for Double Seven. Um, you, I think you're right. I don't think we've ever done a Connery movie. Yeah. So I mean, we if should. You, yeah. Why don't we do? I've an idea. Let's do the Last Crusade. Yeah. <laughs> Can we start our next round? This counts as a 007 episode at the same time. <laughs> Any um, thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll kind of blow it now. I mean, this Ooh. is my favorite Indiana Jones movie. That is um, Jamie. People, I think people would know that when we did our top 50 favorite movies of all time, I'm pretty sure this was my top five. And if it wasn't five, it was just outside. It was like number six. Uh, I love this movie. And I think that it is an example of like, this is how you make a sequel. Although, as I've said several times in this episode, I think a lot of the fault of the rest of the Indiana Jones franchise comes from them maybe not being daring enough with Last Crusade and playing it safer as more of a straight Raiders type movie. But uh, I'll have two fun personal stories to tell next week about this. One as a kid when I got to see this movie for the first time and the other as an adult when a very important life event revolved around the Last Crusade. Cole lost so. his virginity watching the Last I Crusade. Did. <laughs> Wow. When I finally got to see it in the theater. <laughs> I would have been two when this was out, so I can guarantee you I did not see Unless I got to... I, I I didn't, I, my story will be about not being able to see this in the theater. But, right. Uh, well, I think I, I had told the story, I think, back when we did Ghosts, that I think my uh, mom and her friend took me to see Ghosts as like a three or four-year-old. So <laughs> uh, to me, like, if any, I, I, I don't actually know if that was the first movie I ever saw at the cinema, but it's the first memory I have have going to a cinema to see something. Can I remember watching it when I'm like four or three? No. But I remember being in the cinema going, what are we seeing, Mammy? Oh, we're seeing Ghosts. I think I mentioned this when you told the ghost story, but uh, for me, the story, and I had no memory of it, but... Uh, my parents went to a drive-in when I was a baby and they took me along because I was just going to be sleeping in the back seat. 
And I don't remember if it was an Evil Dead movie or a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, but it was one of the two. <laughs> I remember them telling me, it's like, yeah, your first movie was either Evil Dead or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Wow. I can't wait if I ever have children. I'm just going to take them to see, like, you know, <laughs> your, your, your 0.2, your little baby. And uh, sure, I'm sure I'd be very popular. Actually, you know what? Casper's first movie was almost Baby Driver. Oh, almost we went to Baby The driver. same thing. We went to the drive-in theater to see it and the movie was playing but it was like the projector wasn't working they tried to restart it several times so i listened to the first 10 minutes of that movie multiple times before they eventually said uh this isn't going to work if anybody wants a refund if you want to stick around you can if not get a refund so we decided to come home but that was almost his first movie that's a great movie we should cover that movie oh yeah um i i, I as a five-year-old when i came up here before i ever lived in sydney to visit family and the only time i ever went to a drive in my life it was like a double feature i think it was like don't tell mum the babysitter's dead or something. And then it's... Oh, um, I remember seeing that one as kid. Is it... What's the... Is it uh, the Sylvester Stallone one and the Golden Girls? The Stop on My... Stop on My Mom Will Shoot. Yeah. Stop <laughs> my, yeah, that, those are the two that I remember seeing. And I got chicken pox. So thanks, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Um, he gave it to me. Like, <laughs> I, I bet you get chicken pox. Um, 24 is happening on a Monday. That's good. Um... This week, I think we finally dropped those two surprise episodes of Criminal Criminal Commentaries. Uh, we'll soon find out tomorrow night, the time of recording this, if Josh shows up this week. So um, get excited. And I know Colin hasn't recorded yet, but he's very excited for that. Uh, off the podium, 007 there. Great episodes and shows and shit. And uh, we'll be back next week for Sean Connery. And we'll be back next week for James Bond hanging out with Han Solo. Yeah. What more do you want? Uh, my name is Ben. And nothing shocks me. I'm a scientist. And my name is Colin, and I'm very little, you cheat very big. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff yes sir do you like having access to your favorite podcast hosts in a way like never before yeah absolutely do you wish you had access to our old survivor oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online oh yeah if you answered yes to one two or all of those questions then get excited because the oz network is now on patreon That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made.